let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts. Welcome to Opinions, and we are fresh off of a plane. Back from Dublin. Not sure, not sure fresh is the word I would use, Steve. <laughs> no, but... On an 8.40 flight this morning, picked up at the hotel at half six. Yes, that was a rather early start, but we have, uh, we have rushed straight into the recording studio to um, just record a few little pieces to, to, to wrap around all the great content that we've got from the past couple of days. Yeah, definitely. Um, so th- hopefully you'll uh, really enjoy them when, when you get around to listen to them. Yeah. So, um, as our listeners will be aware, we have uh, been in Dublin for, yep. for the last two days, and we were there at the invitation of um, Guinness and the Open Gate Brewery, uh, who have been very generous. Oh, um, incredibly generous, and they li- did look after us. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, just want to basically just say thank you to a few people for for making it happen. So, thanks to Padraig, who is the the manager of the Open Gate Brewery, and you're going to hear from him later on in the show. Thanks to Neve and Lorna, who basically helped with all our travel and our itinerary. Uh, thanks to Evelyn, um, who again you'll hear from later on in the show uh, for. Her historical knowledge. Yep, as the, um, as the Guinness archivist. Yep, and all thank, also thanks to Ian, who was our tour guide on on Thursday for yep. when we went around um, the all what felt like the whole fifty four acres. It did feel like <laughs> the entire acreage of, of Guinness in Dublin. Yeah. So yeah, definitely thanks to all those guys that that they made the trip even better than it was anyway. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And um, I'd also like to. Um, Thanks some of our listeners as well, Steve. Um, we had some really good questions come through uh, for the interviews we were doing. Um, the que- the que- some of the questions weren't asked directly um, because some of the answers were given to us anyway and some of the questions were asked indirectly. So hopefully you will all find out what you wanted to find out plus plus more. Um, so, but thank you to the Owl Lady at the Owl Lady, Sparky Wright, at Sparky Wright, John at the Beer in the Suburbs, Rob's Beer Odyssey at the Rob's Beer Odyssey, Adam Johnson at maybe underscore not underscore a not underscore fad. Please drop the underscores. Simon Clark at Simon Carbon, and last but not least, Pete at Hops and Hoops. So again, yeah, thank you for that. We, we all of our shows are built around the, the engagement with you guys, and it doesn't work without it. So please keep it coming in as well. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And as, as you say, we you, you know. Some of those questions will come out through the, through yeah. the segments of, of the show that you're going to hear. Now, obviously, it's a slightly different show from our normal format um, because we do have, uh, we, we spoke to a number of different people uh, while we're in Dublin. Um, the, the last part that you'll hear is, is probably more reminiscent of a normal show. Yeah, the fir- first two parts are sort of straight down the line interviews with a couple of people but the last one is more of the opinions show yeah and bring, bringing that to life a little bit so let's um before we get into the first interview let's uh let's have a little bit of a look back in in terms of uh, of our little trip um because so was out there for two days yeah uh, so we were invited over we were invited over by uh Padraig initially um just to attend the international stout day mm-hmm. e- event and festival that Guinness have now wrapped around it. Um, but that then got slightly extended to, to, to become in a bit of a look around the facility. And, uh, and, and give us a chance to speak to people and yeah, get, some, yeah. get some great content. Um, so yeah, International Stout Day is the 1st of November. They've, they've 
being being the Irish and being Guinness, they've stretched it out for four days now. <laughs> so it goes through till Sunday evening. Um, and yeah, so we, we, we did get the chance on the, on the Thursday, Steve, to, uh, to speak with Evelyn, um, and she's the archivist at Guinness, and showed us some in, incredible content yeah. from there. Um, we also then, we did get a full behind-the-scenes tour, so not just going around the storehouse, um, which I think is actually laid out really well, um, and obviously having a pint in the Gravity Bar, um, and having a pint with our faces. Yes. Put, put on them. Yeah, yeah, the new stouty, <laughs> stouty. system that they've got. Um, essentially, you, um, people would have seen the picture that, that we no doubt put up on, on, on Twitter. But you have your picture taken, and then that gets transferred to uh, a machine, and it's essentially screen printed with malt extract yeah. onto the head of your pint. Yeah, and sort of stays the whole way through the drink. Your face starts to stretch Quite a little scary, bit. scary, yeah. Like, like one of those uh, mirrors that you have at the... Uh, Circus yeah, or fair. Yeah, uh, you know, a little bit gimmicky, but a, a nice bit of theatre to add to the whole yeah. storehouse yeah. experience. I mean, I got my International Stout Day badge from Untapped <laughs> for that one, so I was quite chuffed with that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, just a couple of a couple of things which sort of came out when we were wandering around. I mean, we found out there was a tunnel yeah. underneath the brewery that links certain bits, and that's a passenger foot tunnel looks very rem- reminiscent of entering a tube station. Yeah, so you don't have to actually go out of any of the brewery sites yeah. you're, you're being connected via a, 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 a tunnel under yeah. the main road um, some of the roads um, used to be public roads are now part of the Guinness site so they still have the actual name of the roads up there uh, one car park used to be a canal yeah. which I found oh, fascinating I found that absolutely fascinating um, yeah. really hard to picture yeah but, yeah um, but I think the one which sticks with me is that they've got their big storage tanks outside 20 of them and each one holds a million pints of Guinness. So there's the 20 million pints. Of Guinness in that bit. Yeah. Plus the 3.2 that they sort of churn out every day. So roughly, there's probably about 25 million pints of Guinness. Circulating, circulating around that facility at any time, yeah. Um, and we got shown the new brew house four, or relatively new brew house four. Amazing. Just It was stunning, wasn't it? Yeah. Enormous. We only saw the bit at the top, the bit which looks visually very good, not the underbelly yeah. of it. That you're that definitely not allowed in the underbelly. Again, again they've done a they've done a very clever job of, of that and in, in terms of just a little bit of theatre. So so basically mm. they've they've got their brew house and then they've essentially built a floor which just allows the top of each vessel yep. to, to come through. And then when you walk into to, to the room, it's it's just this sight of all these shiny tops of vessels. Unbelievably clean, the with, place. With banners across the top of them telling you what they're yeah. each for. So all the workings and basically the machinery, and, and I suppose essentially the brewery floor, is all hidden underneath Yeah, it. it's a bit like the duck on water. Everything's all nice and yeah. graceful up top, but all everything else is furiously happening underneath. Yeah. Um, space age, high tech clean whatever you want to call it um, wherever I stood I couldn't take a picture of the whole place no no, I couldn't get the whole thing yeah. in it um, so again that was good and this was all part of the tour we had with Ian who um, whether it was by good luck or bad fortune I don't know but he got stuck with us for about five, five hours or so didn't yeah, he yeah yeah he was with us for most of the day um, so it, it was really good to get a chance to see I mean so much of the site isn't even being used is it because as they've moved to this more high tech plant their brew house three, their brew house two, it's sort of changed, it's doesn't just, it? It's just become, it's essentially become part of the history of the site. Yeah. And it's now just being left empty. Mm. And we you know, uh, Guinness and Dublin and Ireland are linked. 
there's no getting away from it. You can't get away from that now. Uh, but the amount, the number of buildings that got pointed out to us just in, in Dublin where they said, oh, this was owned by Guinness or Guinness lived here or they've donated it to a trust or a charity. Large volume. I mean, because even the two... The two current Guinness member family members are generally involved more with the trust than with the actual Guinness brewery, aren't they? Yeah. Um, I think they get, as, as one of them said, I think it was Ian, he said they get wheeled out of special occasions to the brewery because it's a real life Guinness turning up. But apart from that, they tend to be, do more for the philanthropic side. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, I just found it all fascinating. And then that was all a lead up to the actual stout day in the evening. Yeah, and what we're going to do now is we're going to um, listen to, to an, an interview that we did with the founder. Yes. Stout Day. Thank you, Erin, for joining us today. Thank you. Um, perhaps for the benefit of our, our listeners, you could introduce yourself. Absolutely. Uh, my name's Erin Peters. I have a uh, blog that I just celebrated 10 years of called thebeergoddess.com, and I created International Stout Day back in 2011. Cool. And what, so what prompted uh, the creation of International Stout Day? Um, a few things. I, uh, at the time, uh, was writing an article about uh, beer weeks uh, in the states that uh, Philly had just created. They were the first city to, to do this, and now it's, it's a big trend in the states. Um, and I shouldn't even say trend, really. But, uh, and I, it just got me thinking. Um, you know, if a whole city can celebrate all styles of beer for a week, why not, you know, my favorite style for a day all around the world? So your favorite style is stout, sporters? It is. The dark, the dark side? The dark, the dark stuff. Um, I, I, I love it all, and it, it really does depend on my mood and where I'm at and what I'm eating and all that good stuff, but I, I do, I do love stout. It's just, uh, it's mysterious, it's romantic, it's historical, and it's delicious. So how did you actually, so that's your inspiration, but how did you actually move it from being inspired to do something to actually creating what is now a day that exists? <laughs> oh, logistically? Well, um, it, it was really, okay, what what do we call it? And, and you know, I just, well, the easy thing is Stout Day, International Stout Day, and then it was, you know, okay, is, is the, the website available? And it was, you know, creating that. And I had, you know, I did not see, foresee it becoming this, uh, what it is today, and I couldn't be more thrilled. But I, I reached out to some other influencers, and and we kind of did a, a big one announcement at the same time. Um, and uh, you know, I made sure I had all the social pages up, and you know, a lot of content written. Um, you know, uh, and that's really how it, how it started. And it just kind of started evolving, and I, I think the timing was was really. I think people were ready for it. You know? I mean, sometimes that's that's part of it. It's, it's, it's yeah. like an alchemy, isn't it? Sometimes right. the timing and people are ready for you to do it. It's just it's still doing it though. You still had to create from the ground up, though, didn't you? Yes, yes, and, and I think that's why part of the reasons why it's successful. It's it's been very organic and natural, and uh, you know now that you know Untap's involved and. I know, so. Yeah, I got my badge yesterday. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, badge. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who doesn't love badges? Exactly. <laughs> what What was the um the, the thinking behind the first of November? Was there any significance to that day? Um, well, it, in part, I didn't. <laughs> it was more okay. You don't want to compete with Christmas or you know Thanksgiving or things like that. And of course, you know it's, it's Stout season. So when are the breweries 
um, uh, brewing stout. Um, I was living in a cold climate at the time, and so I was, you know, drinking more stouts than usual, I guess. And um, so, so really, it was okay. When are people drinking more stouts? You know, Guinness, of course, you can you can drink any time, and, and I do certainly. Um, but it was kind of to make sure, you know. I think June would probably wouldn't have been optimal uh, because a lot of breweries, you know, don't aren't brewing stouts in June. Yeah, and a lot of punters are looking for the crisper, cu cu colder, golden mm. style right. of beers as well. So right. I guess that, that makes perfect sense yeah. actually yeah. launching mm -hmm. it. So how how so how did you start getting together with Guinness? Um, uh, which makes perfect sense. It, it, absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, actually, <laughs> so we had the first international. Uh, in 2011 and it, and it went very well and I, I got a, a call from Guinness afterwards and um, I actually thought it was a joke. I thought my, my buddy Daryl was playing a joke on me because <laughs> he, he would do that a lot and he, and he did this, he has this, you know, kind of fake accent that he, <laughs> and so I, I said, oh, come on, Daryl. And, uh, and so we just, we started talking and, um, and at, you know, the time they were celebrating uh, Arthur Guinness Day and and I think it was just kind of a, a great segue, um, and I, it's been a great partnership. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I mean, well, it's developed now, so 2018, seven years on, <coughs> International Stout Day, but Guinness are stretching it out for the weekend, aren't they? So International Stout Day is first festival, in Thursday is the first of November. It's now yeah. a festival. I mean, right. that must be quite good for you and gratifying and nice to see that. It has How been. it's grown? Oh, absolutely! It's uh, it's it's a bit surreal, to be honest. I mean, after last night was fantastic, and you know, and it's it's still going on. To your point, with the festival, and uh, I'll be heading there after this. Um, so yeah, it's just the way it's grown and developed, and and how people are excited about it, and you know, and it's really it's getting more beer drinkers to to try the style um, and new beer new new beer. Little new beer drinkers to try the style. Yeah, um, it can be a scary style to some people. Yeah, it's you know you, you look at it. It's you know you, sure it's dark. It's but you know it's it's not as heavy as, as some people think. You know, and of course there's so many styles. You know, things you can do with the style, um, as we saw last night. Yeah. You know. yeah. Speaking of last night, what what were your sort of highlights from last night? You know, both the beer itself and and what was going on. Oh gosh, where do I start? Um, first of all, the, the beer, the collaborative beer stylosphere, which is a, a brilliant name, uh, was delicious. The cappuccino style. Uh, that was brilliant. Yeah. We, oh. loved that. we loved that ourselves. We had it in the storehouse and we had it again last night. Yeah. That was yeah. beautiful. Uh, yeah, I mean, just the, the coffee, the slight sweetness. Um, you know, it was it was just delicious. Um, and as were all the other, the other beers. Um, you know, Dr. Nora Patterson, um, you know, just everything they're doing with the feasibility study, I mean, it's just so incredibly exciting. Um, and who better to, to do that, to, to lead that charge, uh, because Guinness is so innovative and um, experimental and, uh, you know, brilliant. So I, I think everything with the food and the beer pairings, um, it, was, it was the sensory... You the know, sensory the thing sensory was station. that was amazing. I mean, lamb donut. Lamb donut. <laughs> Whoever thought Who lamb thought? donut could be yeah. a thing? I, um, yeah, you, you you say that and you go, huh? But it was it was delicious. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, I had a second one. Oh wait, I sneezed a second one as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So apologies to anyone who came after me and found yeah. there was less. Yeah. 
So you, you mentioned the feasibility study there, and that 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 was <coughs> essentially Guinness are looking at brewing a beer in space. Yes, and I never thought I'd say those words yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or hear yeah. those words. Um, I, yeah, I remember when I first heard it uh, from the Guinness team. I what, what? did you say space? <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's true. It's becoming more of a reality and more. It's in our lifetime, which is kind of incredible. Um, and, you know, everyone, the panel was, was brilliant, you know, talking about, I think it's, it's more important than just having the creature comforts of home up there, because, you know, you, you do, um, I think it, everything will work better, uh, and people, you know, the astronauts will, uh, <clears throat> I just think it's it's it'll be brilliant. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think you know what they were talking about last night. But it's not just about the brewing the beer; it's about still having home with you, isn't it? Right. And the things that you still love and acknowledge. <coughs> if you're going to go to somewhere which is out of this world, you still want a little bit of home with you. And mm -hmm. I think that's that's what I was getting from it last night. So that that's yep. ultimately what they're looking to do. Both of them talking about the foods as well. Mm -hmm people still want to have a, a connection it, absolutely and the experience and, yeah. and to Peter's point the the brewer of open gate you know you it's like traveling you know when you travel somewhere else you of course learn about that culture the people the food all of that but when you go back home you end up you know it opens your mind you learn so much more about your, your own home and so to, to his point it's like we'll probably learn so much more about beer on earth and you know how it they can grow and develop and well they're always doing in the space station that's what they do it's all experiments isn't it right. but how they relate them back to being an, you know, on planet earth so uh -huh. not just doing it for theoretical living in space sure sure it's the environment they're able to do them and to bring it back home isn't it so mm -hmm. i suppose it's similar to that right um but i mean again for you that must be you know you're, you you created a day which is now turning into a festival and then guinness now talking about brewing beer in space i mean where do you go from here <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I'm still t I'm still taking it all in. I mean, I, uh, I mean, I'm. That's a good question. <laughs> we we we, sh we shall see. Uh, um, you know, I I think. I, I, well, the space thing. I mean, that's going to be you know a lot of research, a lot of time, and and we'll see we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's a fascinating idea, mm. but also fascinating. But you know, was it uh, was it Nora? Who's Nora, the, yeah, yeah, you know, hoping to be the first Irish. not Irish astronaut, so not female, but just Irish astronaut, and her knowledge and her enthusiasm and her drive to to achieve that goal, I thought, it's, was amazing last is. night. Yeah, um, absolutely, that, that was quite inspirational, actually. It, it really was. She's got one goal, and she, you know, I think what was what did she say? It's it's all about the journey too. Yeah, um, not just the destination, and and she's got her eye on the prize. Yeah, she's willing to do whatever she needs to do to get those yeah. steps in place yeah. so yeah I was fascinated by that last yeah. night absolutely oh. I think in, in terms of where where we've, we've come with Stout probably since you started the day um, I think probably back then we just had probably two types of Stout we had your standard Stout and maybe you got an occasional Imperial Stout or, or, or Barrel A Stout sure. but now it seems you're getting anything in, in, in stouts, so, I mean, last night there was a chili stout on, mm -hmm. coffee stout, there's pastry stouts. Mm -hmm. Where do, do you think that's going to continue the, the the innovation with the style, or do you think it will get to a point where it, it begins to plateau out a bit? 
once we've once we've run out of things to put in there? <laughs> you know, that's that's a good question. I mean, it, I think that's a question for kind of any style too. You know, people are always it's you know you've got the the marijuana beers, you know, cannabis infused and things like that. And um, uh, but with you know stouts, I yeah, I think experimentation and trying new things is always a good thing. And if it if it doesn't work, that's okay. You know, um, but uh, yeah, I you know I think. You know, you've got the oyster stouts, and, and th those have been around for a while. Mm -hmm. um, but I think experimentation and trying, trying new things is always okay. good. Yeah. And what's next for Stout Day? Where, where, do, where do you take it next? I mean, you take, it's going to outer space now, so you can't really go any further. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but time, I think... Time travel. <laughs> yeah, it's time travel. That's, that's the only thing left, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's only time travel. That's it. That's Fe it. Future Stout. <laughs> um, you heard it here first. But, uh, yeah, I think just expanding it more on Earth and having having great events and toasting and, you know, cheersing at the same time on the day. and. Um, just getting more more people involved. Well, I want to say well done for creating it, and um, Thank you. because Stout is a, a well for Steve as well. Stout and Porters, we are fans of, we're massive. and we're fans yeah. of it year round. Exactly. I, think, I think it definitely no, has a place in the in the warmer months oh, as well. I always Absolutely. say it, I don't I don't think you you can beat a nice cold porter from the yeah. fridge in in the middle of summer. Absolutely, yeah. I think it works it, perfectly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. The yeah. same as um, a hot cup of tea or coffee when you're thirsty can really quench you yep. more so than having just a cold water. I don't or get something that cold and fizzy. I, I really don't get no. that one. Don't you? No. Well, I do. <laughs> but then I'm an avid tea drinker. Yes, more you than are. You. Um, so yes. yes, no. Thank you very much for for, for creating it, and hopefully it will continue to grow and be successful. And uh, thank you for giving us your time today. Love it. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. Cheers. Thanks to Erin for that great interview. Really insightful in terms of where International Stout Day came from uh, and how it's developed over the years as well. Yeah, I particularly enjoyed the bit where she said um, she thought it was a friend of hers winding her up when Guinness phoned up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Um, so, so obviously, like we say, part of the, the reason why I was over was to attend International yep. Stout Day. Um, so that was taking place in the Open Gate Brewery, yep. which is essentially Guinness's small batch brewery. Yeah, and really... I mean, you, you can book to go there, or you can just rock up there in you know in the evenings anyway. But it's a chance for you to actually drink Guinness and plenty of other beers, their small batches, um, without going to the storehouse. Yeah. Because I think generally the only other place you could drink on site would have been the storehouse. And you only get Guinness. Yes. In the storehouse and Top House Thirteen has made its house. way to the Gravity Bar, Certainly definitely gravity hasn't bar, it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so at any one time there are a number of different stouts on, so they will generally have stouts experimental batches that they're doing and stouts from a few other breweries as well but this this was a far wider range than the time I went there two years ago with just some friends it was full on stout wasn't it with, yeah. with the exception of I think Hop House 13 was on and Citra IPA and Citra IPA was on because yeah. I think obviously they realised that people were going to get stouted out well we did we, yeah we, we very much did we I mean, ended up with Citra IPA later on in the evening yeah. and it was just needed at that point yeah oh, so, so on for, for the actual festival itself they had Essentially, I think they had 10 beers on that were Guinness experimental small batch yep. brews. Um, and then they had 10 guest stouts. Yeah, so we, well we, around we, the world. we had a couple of stouts from Lervig yeah. were there. Um, they had a stout on cask. Yes. Which yeah. I managed to find a table right beside the cask as well. <laughs> of course you did. Just by, <laughs> by pure chance. Um, and no one seems to believe me. Uh, and um, they had some other... They had, uh, 
Free stouts from a brewery in the Netherlands, um, Emily's, who we actually met the uh, brewmaster who was part of our tour. He was, yeah, Jens. On Jens. Um, smashing bloke. Really knows his stuff. Well, based on both the conversations we were having with him, and you'll be able to hear from him later as well because we managed to get him to join us. Yeah, he joined us for the podcast yeah. as well, didn't he? So that was great. And uh, shared a few more beers, but the free stout he had on at the festival, the apple pie stout, the fruits of the forest, and the Russian imperial were all standouts. Yeah. All standouts. Really good beers, all really well balanced as well. Uh, the two Lurbigs were fantastic. Yeah, really thick. And, yeah. Yeah. But the first beer we, well, the first beer we went for was the foreign extra stout. Because it was on keg. It was on keg. And uh, usually you only see that in bottles for us. I was, was going to say, it's, yes, it's it's a very rare, I mean, well, almost never do you see that in the UK mm. on, on, on keg. So, yeah, we dived um, we dived straight in at the deep end, didn't we? Two-thirds of that. <laughs> and, and, and went for a, a couple of foreign export stouts. What, what, did, what did you think of it on, on, on the keg format? Oh, I thought it was delightful. It's a really, it's very smooth. It's, my, it's often been my favourite Guinness anyway. Um, and that's probably just raised it another notch by having it on tap. Yeah. In the Open Gate Brewery, in the setting we were in, but yeah, the chance to have it on tap, I wasn't going to pass that up. So yeah, I did go straight for a Guinness beer. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we were there at their invite. It kind of felt like it might have been a little bit rude to have, have, have not started on one of those Yeah, days. Yeah, no, they, they, they were doing some um, like sensory, uh, how, how, how your senses uh, you know, change your perception of flavours and tastes and stuff. And um, I'm just going to give a shout out to the chef who created a um, lamb donut. Just, just I know, incredible. I know what you're all thinking right yeah. now. Lamb donut don't work. So it was, it was basically sweet donut, no glaze or anything. No glaze or sugar, s- but still the sweet, sweet donut, sweet bread um, that had had lamb essentially piped into it, yeah. like, like you would with a donut filling. Yeah. So it was shredded lamb inside a donut, and that that was paired with. I can't remember what this pair is because I just got focused on the uh, yeah on the lamb down there. It just blew my yeah. mind, so I had a but second one. Like like you say, it's part of that sensory spirit experience. They were doing the whole um, music and beer thing. Yeah, and the, also the, the rhythm and brews. There was yeah, and well. um, that, the, the, just so you know, Luke, that they they chose some decent tunes for that bit. Um, and yeah, also, I think, I think they know this stuff when it comes to the yeah. music. <laughs> and um, they um, also did the bit where you close off your sense of smell. So we had headphones on, you close off your sense of smell, changes, and I think we were eating some jelly beans yeah. while we are doing that bit. So that was all really interesting. Um, and then they, you know, we just had a, the chance to talk to a few brewers who were there as well. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, as you would have heard from Aaron, so it was centred very much around space was sort of their theme mm-hmm. for it. But obviously the, the highlight was just access to these incredible stouts that were yeah. available and and Guinness launched a, a special kind of celebration beer called Stoutosphere yeah which was uh, cappuccino cappuccino stout yeah which um, 5% yep we had it on nitro pour yep as well just really tasty beer yep. I mean sweet slight bitterness in there really pulled off the the, the kind of mimicking it being a coffee. Yep. Um, so velvety smooth, so easy to drink. I mean, I, I went back on that one a few times. I think I think we had it two or three times in total across the two days, to yeah. be honest. 
Um, so yeah, that that was a really nice beer. So you know, if that if that does make its way to any of the the shops that you go to, I'd recommend giving it yeah. a try. If coffee coffee in your beer is one of your things, anyway. Yeah, but but still one of the standouts of, of that evening being the the foreign export stout. On, Definitely on on, on yeah. keg, um, which is as we didn't know, <laughs> actually is um, born from quite a historic recipe. Yeah, dating that, that, that back one. to about eighteen oh one, wasn't it? Yeah, no spoilers. That's coming, mate. Let's let's not let's not jump ahead of ourselves. Oh, yeah, I was very really um, excited about that. Yeah, bit. they showed yeah. us the book. Yeah, um, yeah. As part of the, the the visit to the archives on the first day, we got to see some of the brewing books, some of the original brewing yeah. books, um, and. I, I don't think we can do this justice. So no. um, what we're going to do, uh, we was lucky enough to, to sit down with Evelyn um, on her own from from the archives. Um, and I've got to say, what you're about to hear is a little bit of a treat because it's if, if you're into your history, you're about to get probably the definitive lesson on Guinness. Yeah. Welcome, Evelyn, to uh, Opinions. Um, Start off by telling us what your role is here at Guinness. Yeah, so I have a very varied role here at Guinness. So my official title is Guinness Archivist. Um, and really what that means is that I look after and curate all the really, really amazing um, history that we have within Guinness. So we were founded in 1759 um, and within the archive we hold literally hundreds and thousands of documents um, from 1759 right up to the present day. Um, so my role is to curate that, make sure that we're preserving it to go into the future. Um, but most importantly then to be able to go through it, to be able to tell brand stories, to use the archive as inspiration for what the beer and the brand are doing today and into the future. So that's, um, we were quite lucky yesterday, weren't we? Because we got to, to spend some time with you going through a lot of, sort of documents and the, the history of, of Guinness from its, its start up until the, the present day. Um, just for our listeners, tell us a little bit of that origin story, if you will, from, from the very first, sort of, the, the, the beginnings um, to, to where we are now. Yeah, sure, of course. So our founder was Arthur Guinness, um, and he was probably one of Ireland's best-known Irishmen, or is our, one of Ireland's best-known Irishmen, but actually we know very little about his early life, so we don't even know his birthday, we don't know his date of birth, for example. Um, but when he comes up to Dublin, he was born in Selbridge in County Kildare, which is about 20 miles south of us here. Um, and when he was 34 years of age, um, he came up to Dublin and signed a lease on a run-down, disused brewery right here at St James's Gate, so the site where we're still sitting today. Um, he had a huge amount of foresight, um, because the lease that he signed on this dilapidated rundown brewery was for the term of 9,000 years. Um, so I often say to people, we still have another 8,700 and do the maths on it, um, years to run on the lease. Um, so a man, I suppose, with incredible vision, um, hard, hard even to conceive for us today to, to sign our, our names to, to a lease of that length. Um, and what he took over at that stage to say was a rundown brewery. Um, craft brewing um, was a huge thing here, here in Dublin, in Ireland and, and in the UK in the 1700s. Um, and it was stiff competition. There was about 70 breweries in Dublin in the 1750s when Arthur started his brewery here. So from very small beginnings, um, mm. I suppose he very, very soon quickly became established as a brewer of note within the city. Um, we know from his some of his writings that he was deliberately and specifically using ingredients of great quality um, and just the quality of these beers just spoke for themselves. So when, when he first signed that lease on, on, on the original 
brewery because we, we found out yesterday that the current site something like 54 acres of, of, of land which is quite a chunk of real estate in a city centre essentially what was the size that he signed was, was was that what he signed the lease for at that time or was it a much smaller area and it's, it's just grown over time so the 1759 lease covers a, four, a small four acre site. So for any of your listeners who are familiar with this part of Dublin or St. James's Gate, where the famous Guinness Gate is with the 1759 and, and today's year, um, that's roughly the site of the original brewery, the original four acres. Um, and over the years then, as the beer got more successful, the, the brewery got more successful, it um, literally expanded around. So you're right, I think you, you had a long walk around the brewery yesterday, it's over 50 acres today, so really grew up over the last 200 years. And um, when he first started brewing, you, you was telling us yesterday, he was, he was just brewing owls uh, originally. Um, and then there was a there was a moment where he, he stopped doing that and then just just started concentrating on, on on the stout. From from what you know, looking back through the history, was there any sort of decision making process behind that behind stopping brewing owls and just going to to stout and porter? Yeah, well, I suppose for everyone today so associates Guinness as as stout around the world. It's it's um, world famous as a stout or as a porter. Um, but I think it is interesting that Arthur actually started off brewing ales um, and the reason for that is because that was the predominant beer type that everyone was drinking really in, in, in Ireland and England in the 1700s. So this relatively new drink of, por- of porter using roasted barley, um, there's a couple of different origin stories of it um, but mostly attributed to a brewer called Ralph Harwood who was brewing in Shoreditch in London in the 1720s. Um, brewing a new style of beer with um, very very dark malt um, and that beer started becoming I suppose the beer of the working class of literally of the porters the market porters of Covent Garden and Billingsgate which is where the term comes from um, so that beer becomes really popular among the London working classes it starts becoming imported into Dublin by about 1740-1750s um, and starts becoming really popular with the Dublin working classes. Um, so Arthur Guinness was a num- one, one of a number of brewers who decided to try their hand at brewing this new beer type. Um, and one of the books that I showed you yesterday, the original books that we hold in the archive, dates back from 1799, and it actually records Arthur's decision to stop brewing ale, which was the traditional beer type, in favour of brewing his version of porter. Um, and I suppose history has shown us that he he absolutely made the right decision. But it would have been a bold decision at that stage. He literally was putting all his eggs in one basket, brewing this relatively new beer style in a in a world where people were most familiar with ale. Um, but he um, he persevered. He had um, he had faith in his version of of porter and um, decided that that's that's what he was good at and that's what he was going to concentrate all his brewing expertise at. And I suppose, as I say, the rest is pretty much history. Literally from, is. <laughs> from, from that point on. So when did when did the, the, the brewery first start expanding out of that original small site? Quite early on, actually. So um, within the brewery site today, we have two absolutely beautiful old buildings, uh, which, which are our first two vat houses, vat house one and two. Um, and the footprint of, of those, or the, the foundations of those buildings go back to the 1790s. And that was the first phase of brewery expansion. So actually within Arthur's lifetime, the brewery was very much starting to expand. Um, and one of the reasons for that is that Arthur had made a decision to actually not just brew for Dublin and for the local environment, 
uh, and local environs, but actually to start brewing his beer for overseas. And he definitely would have been one of the first Dublin brewers to have done that. Um, so yesterday I showed you one of the, the recipe books that we hold in the archive um, for a beer called West India Porter that dates back to December 1801. And that's a beer that Arthur was brewing um, with a much higher ABV, much, much higher hop rate. Um, he called the beer West India Porter, therefore he was designing it as the beer that would travel, as the beer that would export. Um, and that West India Porter changed its name throughout the 19th century and in, the, in our brewing logs to West India Porter. Um, and West India Porter generally in the 19th century actually had a maturation rate of about 18 months. Um, within within vat within the wooden vats. So as the export trade grew, the size of the site physically had to grow as Arthur had to build and his successors had to build more and more vat houses to uh, to house the maturing beer for an eighteen month period. And that beer is still around today, isn't it? But known by a, a different name, which I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar. Absolutely, with, it's is... our special brew. It's our it's our FES. And um, so, if you're if you're in Africa or Asia or, or the the uh, Caribbean in particular, that's that's the style of Guinness that you would automatically be served. Our nitrogenated pint of Guinness is more of a a Western world, mm -hmm. um, I suppose, in terms of um, the States or, or Australia or, or, or Europe. Um, so Foreign Extra, which dates right back to that recipe book from 1801, we've been brewing continuously on site here for um, almost 220 years now, yeah. which has to be made. I'm, I'm dying for somebody to contradict me, but I, th I absolutely think it has to be one of the longest extant um, beer variants to be continuously brewed in the world. And so for, for those export markets that, that you mentioned, is it brewed here and then shipped there or are they brewing it on, on, on their sites in, in other countries? Because I, I think, aren't they, some of them use their own ingredients to make a, a slightly different variant using locally sourced ingredients? Yeah, that's absolutely true. So mention that we've been brewing FES continuously here on site, which is still true. We do brew a um, small amount of foreign extra stout um, here in St. James's Gate. Um, but the majority of our foreign extra stout is brewed in about 40 breweries um, overseas particularly strong in Africa. In Africa, we would have um, well over between 15 and 20 breweries. Um, and you're absolutely quite right. Um, in Nigeria, for example, the local grain um, isn't barley. Um, the local grain is a grain called sorghum, and that's what's used. Um, so I suppose it's a very much a, um, it's something that Guinness has very much espoused right throughout its history, is using local products as much as possible. Um, so in places like Nigeria, um, sorghum is, is the substitute for barley as the grain. And isn't sorghum gluten-free as well? As far as I, I know, I and I'd have so, to double check. Don't so, quote so me that, on that, that one, but as far as I know. gluten-free <laughs> variant of, of Guinness that's available Possibly. As, as well. So bringing it a, li a little bit closer to, to where we are now, um, one of the things she was mentioning yesterday was how you had to begin to, to change the product to compete with um, basically cold fizzy lager that was becoming more and more popular in the, the 60s and 70s. And, and, and you spoke about that's the, the approach that the end took to how you designed and packaged Guinness and how it was produced. Tell us a little bit about that, because that, that was fascinating listening to that yesterday. Yeah, so I think for, for most people, and I'm sure for a lot of your listeners, everybody is, when you think of Guinness, you conjure up the, that creamy pint glass of Guinness, and really that's how what people um, 
um, how, how people consider um, Guinness is today but actually from a historical point of view um, Guinness Draft is nearly the baby in the family and um, it's only only 60 years old which meant for the first 200 years of our, of our history um, the main variant that would have been on sale in Ireland and England would actually have been extra stout Guinness extra stout and traditionally that would have been brewed here in the brewery left the brewery in wooden barrels and then both throughout the UK and Ireland either local breweries in the case of the UK or publicans themselves literally in the back room of their bar would have bottled um, Guinness and that's how as a customer if you went into a pub that's how your Guinness was served and um, it was also available in draft format but because um, the high um, high CO2 and um, in in Guinness it actually wasn't um, wasn't possible to, to fully um, and fully make Guinness available in in draft format um, and that led to in the 1950s um, actually a mathematician um, called Michael Ash who joined the brewery in 1951 decided to take it on himself nearly as a personal mission and um, to crack um, from a scientific point of view and um, crack Guinness being a being made available in draft format and I mentioned yesterday that very much coincided with the rise of lagers um, which would have been hugely popular on the continent starting to become really popular especially in bars in the UK throughout the 50s so consumers going into your, into the bars in the 50s were getting really used to ser- being served cool pints of pints of lagers um, so draft Guinness came to market in 1959 um, and um, really took over um, the people just loved the, the draft um, the, the creamy pint um, key, key addition of course was nitrogen and that's what Michael Ash that, that mathematician cracked um, was how to add nitrogen into the beer so Guinness is the, the first nitro beer now interestingly um, you showed us like one of the original hand pumps for it and that was in blue and so what was the reason for it being blue rather than the brand colours that we know for Guinness today? Yeah, so that's really interesting. If you look at some of the early pumps um, like we did yesterday, they're a million miles away from what you would expect when you walk into to a bar today and, and, and order a Guinness from the, um, from the bar counter. Um, so the very early ones were blue and white. Um, and it's back to that, uh, that idea of, I suppose, the context of the time um, where customers in the pub were used to having um, their lager ser- served cold so Guinness decided to colour their the fonts blue to make that almost mental association for, for customers that um, with the colour blue being associated with cold um, and we also talked yesterday about some of the um, the lovely John Gilroy animal advertisements and um, people will be really familiar with the toucan and all of those um, and specifically the penguin was used as the um, as the animal to symbolise draft Guinness, so it's going back to that idea and and symbolism of association of and association with being cold, exactly. Now, uh, just to sort of round off the Michael Ash tale, when we were going through the storehouse yesterday, our guard, guide Ian mentioned that you guys managed to speak to him shortly before he passed away. Um, how did that come about? Yeah, that that was that was a, a really magic moment for me, to be honest. I've been working. Um, on the history of the brand now for um, the past 16 or 17 years and this definitely stands out as, as one of the highlights. Um, so we were um, introducing um, Nitro IPA actually into, into the States about two or three years ago um, and our advertising agency was um, looking for a way to, to just to tell the Nitro story, to tell the nit- Nitrogen story especially to, to an American audience and we thought well what better way than to literally get it from the horse's mouth and um, so we tracked down Michael Ash to a beautiful little village in the Welsh Hills um, and I went over for, for the shoot and spent a really lovely
lovely two days with Michael and um, he really welcomed us into his home it was his birthday one of the days that we were there he was well into his 80s at that stage um, and we filmed him both in his home and in his local pub um, and off camera himself and myself had great chats all together about um, various different personalities in Guinness that he would have worked with um, and different um, different projects that he would have been involved in um, and that resulted in a be beautiful advert actually that went out um, and then about six months later we were we hosted him here in the Open Gate Brewery um, and we have a plaque to him um, to, to commemorate that visit um, that all of our visitors here to the Open Gate can see. Um, very um, very fortunate that he was able to, to travel actually because he actually passed away a few months later. I mean obviously that's a bit sad but it must have been a lovely moment for him as well as for you guys to get that chance to, to speak to him because a lot of the time you're dealing with paper documents, pictures, this is real when it's a person as well isn't it? Absolutely and it's, it's actually it's, it's an interesting one I suppose as an archivist as well you know I'm used to very much used to um, you know picking up people's personalities from what they've said in written form yeah. in, in paper and um, it, it absolute, as well as it being an absolute honour to, to have met, met Michael as a, a legend of the brand um, it was just amazing to see somebody who I had some, someone who I talked to um, and seen and seen um, so much throughout the documents to actually see that bringing him to bringing that to life but actually to talk to him about other people who yeah. I would have read about um, and um, to hear firsthand his thoughts on, on his interactions with them um, and I think he actually found that really fascinating as well because um, he was able to talk to me about people that he remembered in his past whereas maybe his family and other people that he wouldn't he would have been close to wouldn't have had that history. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, you, you mentioned there as well about obviously the the, the branding and the adverts and, and how they've changed over time from those original sort of cartoon drawings right up to, to the modern day and probably the the most iconic one that a lot of people will know is the surfer advert, which I know mine you're not a fan of. I'm not a fan of. Yeah, but it is a very really. I've actually rarely heard of somebody who's I'm not, not a yeah, fan I'm not of the surfer. That's the only one in the world. Yeah, but I'm going to give my rationale for it though. Now, now that you brought it up, Steve. Um, my rationale for it is that there's a lot of it's it's as a dramatic piece of TV or cinematography. I think it's excellent, but it's too long to tell me it's Guinness. Until you the first time you watch it, you don't know what it is. It's only when you've recognised it then you know it's about Guinness. But the first time it takes way too long. But doesn't to that introduce keep, Guinness. doesn't that draw you in? No, to, to want to know what it is. It, what, what it says it's like those it's like when you go to cinema and they do the extended car adverts without showing the car. I think it's bollocks. Myself. So yes, I'm not a fan. As a piece of Get art, fence, mate. Come on. As a, <laughs> as a piece of art, I think it's excellent. As a piece of cinematography, yeah. it's fabulous. But, but it, it is all it was all part of good things come to those who wait. Yeah. So you know, it, it was talk. It was well, building the anticipation. That could, that could say, maybe that says more about my level level of patience. Then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You do have to wait that 119.5 seconds. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah, we saw that in the uh, storehouse as well. Actually. Yeah. Um, so, so obviously, you've always kind of. Some would say maybe been slightly ahead of the curve with the advertising for for, for the brand, and I think Ian mentioned yesterday that it's you now focusing more on the people stories, so, so the, the people that sit behind the brand. Yeah, sort of making it more real, wasn't yeah. it? We yeah. saw one in the storehouse, which was about all the pe people at the brewery, uh, the, one of the farmers who's part of a long line of the same yep. family of generations. Yep, yep uh, with the barley. So yeah, what what's caused that shift in the way you're advertising? Yeah, well, I think I think obviously 
that the whole nature of advertising and the, the advertising industry um, very much follows follows and or leads arguably um, different cultural trends and I think the world that we live in at the moment people really want to know where their products have come from who's actually behind this and them, the people who make them where the barley does come from in, from um, to use that example from, from McGuinness point of view and it just humanises um, humanises our brand humanises our product when you can actually see the see the brewers and we have amazing people who work here um, right, right across the business um, but especially especially the people who actually make the beer um, so why wouldn't we want to, to, to show them to the world and, and, and introduce them um, but it is I think it is it is a sign of what's going on globally as well and um, that consumers are just you know they're just more much more interested in, in the people behind in their products and, and where they're coming from. I think we were fascinated yesterday, weren't we, when we went in the, the roasting house. Yeah, I knew we were going to say to, that bit. To, to discover that the process isn't finished and, until this one fella <laughs> has, has tasted it to make sure it tastes right. Now, at, that, the, at the back end of the process, so yeah. basically there's mm-hmm. stages of temperature to roast it and there's the perfect point. Can you remember what the point is? 232.9 or something. Absolutely, yeah, two, three, two. Well done. So, but, but, and then, but it's it's that that bit goes quite quickly from the two hundred to the two thirty-two, isn't it? They, yeah. they ramp it up. Yeah. And then, but basically, it's a guy who, with so much experience now, knows if it's hit that sweet spot. And I was, I was absolutely, and that appears in the advert very briefly with yeah. the, the 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 roasted malt coming out. But I was fascinated with such a big site. We saw some amazing stuff yesterday. From, from the tour we had, um, that this vital part of the process is done by the skill of one person. Yeah, where's, where's the succession planning in that? Yeah. <laughs> How do you teach somebody that this is what it should taste like? Yeah, yeah. I said the wrist thing, because that was a hell of a operational wrist thing. <laughs> yeah. so single single person yeah. wrist. But, uh, yeah, well, and, and that's why there's more than one person. Yeah. But I think that thing that's what's really interesting, actually, is that it is, you know, Brewing arguably, you know, has become so high tech um, over the years, and and justifiably so from a microbiology and, and and that point of view. But actually, there's no getting away from the craft of brewing, mm-hmm. um, and the the roast house is the absolute epitome of that. Yeah, it showcases um, it perfectly. Yeah, it, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, you can have. Um, I mean, barley is a is, is a natural ingredient. Every harvest is different. Every you know every every farm is is different in, in terms of it being a natural natural material. And um, so you can't just press a button and say after two hours this is going to be yeah. 100% cooked to the absolute um, absolute um, right specifications. It is absolutely down to the eye and the and the taster, the taste of the roaster. But people don't see that, do they? Because they see that they say the pictures and they read the stories about the Nuva House and the shiny steel and the amazing building that that is. And then you've got your 20 million pints being stored outside. Which and then is they still, see that. still an amazing number to get your head around. <laughs> yeah, I can't even picture it. So you see these great big bats, just to give it a context, when you come out of the tunnel, and each one holds a million pints of Guinness. Yeah. And thank you very much to our guide, Ian, for saying pints. Yeah, because we, we understand pints. Yeah, gallons and hectolitres is no good. I understand a pint. I understand a pint. Um, and yeah, just that it's hard to put that into context. But there's 20 million pints in there. There's like another 3.2 million being in process elsewhere. Mm. So probably about 25 million pints yeah. in and around the whole site. It's just an amazing number. And yeah, but to think there is still people actively involved in the process. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's what's often forgotten. Yeah. Is, is those there are people here. It is, and I suppose that's back to just what we were talking about a little bit earlier about, ad, about the, the more recent state of advertising is, you know, we want to 
um, we want to bring out those stories because like you were saying you guys were fascinated yeah. by that and we know that most people would be fascinated by that um, so it's up, up to us to tell, to tell those yeah. stories and it's really back to um, I say really highlighting you know the true craft of brewing which is which goes on here 24 7 and every day and always has done but you know maybe we just haven't been as good at telling that story well we we saw yesterday didn't we as as we were walking around we saw things like the old doctor's building so there used to be a a doctor on well there still still is yeah and we you know even before we turned up at guinness yesterday um the taxi we got from our I hotel. knew you were going to say a taxi driver. <laughs> <laughs> well, taxi drivers have the best stories. They don't always have to be true, but they're still the best stories. Um, but he was telling us about his grandfather, um, but he ended up working at Guinness after World War One. And, you know, one of the first things he said was, that, you know, basically they had a doctor on site. So effectively it was like private medical insurance in the 1920s. Um, and what we did find yesterday with everyone we spoke to, including yourself and anyone connected, is that everyone here seems so enthusiastic. And it seems like people stay. It's infectious, isn't it? Yeah. People stay. Uh, I, uh, that's just a feeling I get. But from the people we've spoken to, you know, Guinness, Dublin, Ireland are inextricably linked. No point pretending otherwise. You know, I've got Irish, Irish parents, and Irish background, so you know, Guinness features in, in my life, probably in my blood somewhere. Um, but everyone, there's good things being said because again, the taxi driver was pointing out all the buildings that Guinness yeah. have owned and have passed through to the state, held in trust for charities. Um, there's just a lot of stuff which we found out yesterday, didn't we, from various yeah. sources. People are happy to talk about it. But there were, there, there were little bits as well, like things like as, as the site's grown, you've actually been able to essentially close off what were public roads. There used to be public roads through that are now closed off yeah. because it's, it's part of the site. And then we walked past the post office and the fire <laughs> station and all of a sudden you start thinking this is like a it's like a mini town yeah. within within a city and then, then the car park used to be a canal yeah and, and then going back even further and I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong here but weren't some of the houses were for the staff that used to work here around the site and is this, I'm, I'm a, that's obviously not still the case, or is it still the case? Do, do you still provide housing for? We, we still don't provide housing, but there's still a lot of that. I suppose Guinness would traditionally have been um, recognised absolutely as one of the best employers in in, in the city, um, and actually was the biggest biggest private employer in in the city as well. Um, but all those benefits, like me, uh, medical, which as you say is is, is still very much um, here today, um, canteens, so you know free food for people. Um, Guinness would would in the past have provided um, housing and um, provided um, zero interest loans for people to be able to buy buy their own houses as well. We've never given out interest free. That doesn't happen. We've had our, had our own building society at one stage. Um, so there's a lovely phrase about, about the brewery and you actually nearly hit on it there. It actually is described as a city within a city and it's because of that it had its own fire station, had its own St. John Ambulance Brigade, um, I say its own canteen. There was non-contributory pay pensions paid to every employee from the 1880s onwards which was 30 years before the welfare state um, came, came into being so that sense and, and it's very very hard to to try and distill into a sentence why this that association that you mentioned about Guinness and Irishness and, and Dublin yeah. but it you know it's so all-encompassing and you like you mentioned the, a lot of the buildings um, in, in the civic spaces within the city having either a benefaction by the Guinness family um, but the fact actually that so many were dependent on the brewery for their livelihood there's there's we have a swimming pool I don't know if you heard about it so we have a no, swimming pool across the road and there's generations <laughs> 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 um, 
pints. There you go. That's the immersion experience <laughs> done properly. Maybe not quite Guinness. <laughs> um, but there's, we do have a swimming pool on site. It was the gift to the company by the Guinness family um, when they were t- when we were 200 years old as a company back in 1959. The, the gift to the employees was a swimming pool, so still used today. But actually, that means that generations of local kids in the area learn to swim in the Guinness swimming pool because it was open to, to oh, lo- quite, lo- local school kids. That's quite cool. Um, yeah. So <laughs> there's just, we had our own theatre on site, um, no longer anymore, um, the building's still there but not functioning as a theatre. So there really was this sense of, of community and kind of being grounded within, you know, outside of the walls of the brewery but within the, the Dublin 8 and, and the mm. Liberty space. Um, and that filters through down to the people who work here today. That, you know, it really, it really is a special place to work. Yeah, I mean it's quite some responsibility as well for a, for a, a company, for a private, a privately owned company. That's a lot of responsibility, really, isn't it? For there's a lot of people relying on them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and there there has been traditionally in the past. So that's what I look after in terms of that history and, and all of those stories, and then hoping to inform what we do today and in the future. Do you get many speaking about the history? Do you, because the, the company I work for, we've got quite an extensive archive. Uh, the bank I work for, we we inherited the Bearings Archive. Oh yes. So we have a few archives, but and obviously we get a lot of people who are doing various studies or want to write books. Do you get those sort of requests where people want to have access and want to get some information, and presumably you guys then help them with that if we if and when you can. Yeah, absolutely. So we are we do function as a traditional archive in that sense that we're open to researchers. So we have a lady at the moment who's doing a PhD um, out of one of the Irish universities on the Guinness men who left the brewery to fight in the First World War and what happened to them when they came home. Um, so she's doing her whole PhD based on based on that using our material. Um, so there's a huge that whole social element and social aspect of Guinness um, is hugely reflected in, in the records that we have. Um, and then yeah, absolutely you get people coming in looking for um, economic historians, social historians, uh, marketing um, and, and advertising. There's there's obviously beer <laughs> as, yep. as well. Um, there's there's such a such a whole range um, of, of different topics I suppose that can be explored because if you look at Guinness as a obviously as a brewery but actually as a business that's operated through a, through the 1798 rebellion through the Irish famine through the the, the, the wars through our Ireland coming under independence and um, you know it, it's it's such an institution that that survived through all of those years as well. In the UK at the moment, there's a bit of a renaissance in terms of looking at heritage recipes and, and heritage brewing and, and there are a few breweries that are, that are going back and they're, they're working with maltings companies to have specialist malts made to try and recreate older recipes. Are, are there any plans for, for you to use those extensive recipe books that you've got to maybe recreate some of the recipes from, from days gone by? Well, funny you say that. <laughs> um, we have we have done some some of that actually in the past, and I can see see us doing a lot more of that in the future. Um, so as part of obviously we're here today in the the Open Gate Brewery, um, which has this our our new range of beers, and I suppose when that program started for Guinness about three or four years ago and um, the first of the new range of beers that came through was based on the 1801 West India uh, uh, West India Porter recipe that we looked at yesterday um, and there's been a number of beers since um, Guinness has a, a fabulous beer a Guinness export stout we call it GXS and um, it was brewed 
after the Second World War for the Belgian market um, and it's um, still brewed today. We partner with John Martins in, in Antwerp um, and two years ago that was relaunched in, this, in the US as Antwerpen State, um, Guinness Antwerpen State. But again, that's still based on the 1944-45 recipe that we hold in the archive. Um, so we're, we, are, we, we do work with the brewers, um, Peter Simpson, who's the head brewer here in the Open Gate Brewery and, and his team um, do come over to, to, um, to the archive and we, we have a look at either different ingredients or different techniques. Um, we did a really nice beer last year um, as an anniversary beer, um, I'm not sure if I showed you the bottle for it uh, when you were over yesterday, but it's an anniversary beer um, for to celebrate the 200th anniversary of Guinness in the States, yeah, which you showed, was you showed October 1817, yeah. um, which was also the first year we were able to go back through our own records and show the, the first brew here in the brewery using black patent malt and use that recipe as an inspiration for the 200th anniversary brew. So there's been some really, really good examples um, of how we've used our own proprietary recipes um, which is something that's um, you know fully owned, fully owned by Guinness so it's our story to tell and it's one of the one of the various um, branches I suppose of the innovation agenda that the brewers look at currently they bring a huge amount of new beers that have never been conceived of before to market but actually then there's because we because we are Guinness and because we sit on this rich heritage um, looking looking back on our, our older recipes is definitely a, a, a vein of that thread as well. So, so a lot of looking back to go forward yeah absolutely in terms of what can we do now and you know you've got such a rich heritage here absolutely and I suppose that the, tr the Guinness tradition has always been to be true to our heritage but actually always to be pushing the boundaries and um, so if you look back from a technology point of view from what we're talking about Michael Ash and the development of the the world's first nitrogenated beer it's always been our history is about pushing the boundaries so what we're doing now is is a continuation on of that it'd almost be daft not to wouldn't it it'd almost be why Such wouldn't you because I mean yeah. and you got some of the records you showed us yesterday they're so detailed so detailed yeah. you know I mean thankfully they write better than I ever read so people can actually read the recipes but the amount of detail in there was amazing I thought and it was, it was like a full on ledger wasn't it yeah uh, every, every step of the process the ingredients quantities so yeah I mean there's such a rich vein to use the brewers must love looking at those they do they do and it's actually it's hugely interesting for for us working in the archives to actually sit down with the brewers because i think our our brains work um quite similar rather than necessarily with some of the marketing and design people are as, as archivists we love the detail yeah and actually sitting down with the brewers and the scientists and and like-minded people um it, it's amazing we learn a huge amount from them as well it's it's, it's really fascinating that's brilliant I mean, I, I could literally sit and talk to you. Yeah, well, for the first 15 over. minutes, I said nothing, so I was just listening to you, to be yeah, fair. Yeah. I thought I should join in at some point. Yeah, and uh, the, the time you gave us yesterday as well was, was, was brilliant, so thank you Great, so much for that. And, and, and thanks for joining us today and, and just sharing some of that with our listeners. Super, yeah, thanks thank you very million. much. Thank you very much, Evelyn, for, for the time you gave us for that. I mean, that's two days when you spoke to us. It would have been quite easy for us to have simply put out a two-hour show just chatting to Evelyn about the, the, the history. Yeah, oh, and she openly admitted if you'd given her the two hours, she would have used it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so again, thank you ever so much for giving us the time and the way you just roll those facts out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, the, the, everything she was saying, she didn't have any prompts or paper. No, that was, that was all straight out of her head. Yeah. As, 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 well, as it was, although when we met her in the archives, yeah, she had a few props, but again, it was just knowledge yeah. that, that was just there yeah. and, and, and just flowing out of her. Yeah. I, I think it's probably fair to say that for both of us, 
spending time with, with Evelyn in the archives and, and chatting was one of the real highlights of the trip. Oh, I mean, yeah, if we're, if we're getting like that top three or top five highlights and stuff, that's right up there. I mean, she was the first person essentially that we met yeah. at the storehouse on the, um, on the Thursday and presented us with the high-vis jackets with our names on it. Yes. Which yeah. sort of blew us away, really. And that, well, that got everyone straight away. Yeah. Straight away, everyone had smiles on their faces. Yeah, it was a really so little bit personalised <laughs> kit, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that that was definitely a highlight. I mean, what else for you, Steve, about the trip? You know, we've spoken a little bit about the beers themselves, but what about anything else? I think just getting some, some of the behind-the-scenes access that you don't normally get, looking around the site, looking around the brewery. One of the real standouts for me was the, uh, the, the the roasting room or the roasting house. Oh yeah, we haven't mentioned that, have we? No, so um, going in and where they roast all their their, their malts and, and get it to the, just the right temperature before essentially crash calling it, yeah. it. That aroma when you first go it in there. It smelled amazing. I could have just stood in there all day yeah. long taking taking that in because the weather was nice clean clear and crisp yeah, wasn't yeah, it yeah and so we'd been outside for a bit we go in and it's automatically a bit warmer and then you just get this waft and it stays with you the whole time you're yeah, there yeah yeah um that that was that was amazing that was because you know we saw so many amazing things but seeing the roasting room smelling that aroma and then finding out that there's actually someone doing a guy doing something at the very end of it just to make sure it's all okay essentially by taste yeah yeah, I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, so that that was a real highlight for, for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I've mentioned the the twenty million pints, um, mentioned Jens, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say it again. I mean, you, you know, we met Jens for the first time. We, we had no idea who was going to be with us on the on the on the Thursday on the tour. Who else was going to be at International Stout mm-hmm. Day? Um, and he was just, even if he wasn't a brewer, he was just a nice chap. Yeah. Um, but the fact then that he, as you'll hear coming up next, he he joined us on the on on the show. Um, we've shared some beers with him. It's it's just that was that was definitely a highlight meeting someone like that. Yeah, and then there was the real surprise yesterday of uh, after we finished um, recording our little segments, we were just planning on having a few beers in in the Open Gate Brewery, just sampling some of the stouts that we'd missed out on Thursday yep. night, uh, and then all of a sudden from from out of nowhere, uh, Podrick uh, produced the owner of Delirium. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. <laughs> Oh, and then and then Badrick then proceeded to start pouring the beer. Yes, yeah. <laughs> while the Brilliant. owner was there and didn't do it the right way and was cut down with a look from the owner yeah. to delirium. And that's when Patrick said, "I'll let you do it." Yeah, <laughs> and, and then and then basically we got a bit of a a bit of a tasting and history of delirium. Yeah, as well, and, didn't we? and also you know how to pour delirium. Yeah, it was in some nice branded glassware, as you'd expect, with the pink elephants on it. And yeah, and again, he was very passionate about delirium, about you know what they do, their cafes, the bar, the main bar in Brussels that I've been to certainly, where they've got over two thousand beers. So again, you know, he just appeared. And to be honest, we were quite happy sitting in the corner just watching what was going yeah. on, and we sort of just got brought brought into the circle. And it was it was a fascinating like 10, 15 minutes, wasn't it? Without without a doubt, yeah. And I think just picking up on one of the things you said there about his enthusiasm, I think that's the one thing that about the whole trip that really stood out was that everybody we met that worked for Guinness just had so much enthusiasm and so much passion about the jobs that they were doing, even down to the staff in the storehouse, yeah, the, the, the folk behind the bars. Everybody loves their job. Yeah, or they're very good actors and actresses because that's exactly the feeling I was getting and it it just again 
it ramps up the enjoyment of it all. Yeah. When people are that infused about it, you know, I, they're working for a big corporation, essentially. I work for a big corporation, and there was more smiles on the faces of the people at Guinness than, than, than where I work. So, yeah, that, that was a real highlight. Um, you know, and I think we've made new friends. But speaking of friends... We spent some time with some old friends as yes. well. Yes, so the beer snobs. Yes. Wayne and Janice, the Irish beer snobs. Um, we saw, caught up with them on both days, actually. We did, yeah. Thursday evening and the Friday evening. Beer was obviously consumed in their presence. <laughs> got, got to go to a new bar on Thursday evening as well, uh, the Underdog. Yep. Where we were both thrilled to see that they had um, <laughs> Fuller's ESP on. Yeah, and I mean... The keg version of Fuller's ESP, Yeah, no and we did need non-stout at that point. Yes. Um, so we and that just sort of, sort of leapt out for us. And then yesterday, Friday evening, we went to Alfie Burns, which is a Galway Bay bar. Yeah. And Underneath why did the we con- go there? Uh, because we wanted Foam and Fury. Well, we just needed hops. Oh, yeah, we drank, we, we drank all hops. We had quite a sensible beer to start off with. Yeah. Then went less sensible. Well, that, that weights and measures, three point... It's- Eight yeah, it's very, very session IPA. Um, and it's underneath the Conrad Hotel. So, I mean, you know, they've got a nice spot there. It was, it was a lovely atmosphere in there. Yes, just the right yeah. sort of numbers. Uh, you and the Stobbs had some food in there as well. Yeah. And uh, that looked quite nice. So, yeah, it was as ever. Um, it was lovely to catch up with uh, Wayne and Janice. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I think I think people would have um, realised by now, mate, that we're, we're probably nearly an hour into this podcast and we've not actually consumed a single beer yet. Yes, that was odd, wasn't it? <laughs> it, it, it does, but uh, rest assured that <laughs> that is coming up because we did um, we did get to sit down with Podrag uh, from the Open Gate Brewery to, to, to try a couple of beers from from the Open Gate. So um, you're going to hear us talking about the Citra IPA and also the recent um, Timmermans and Guinness Lambic Stout. Yeah, that was released. We got to try that, uh, and as as we've mentioned, we're also joined by Jens from Emilice who um, shared a couple of his beers with us as well. Yeah, so, we're not going to say anything about those. You can hear about those yeah, on, yeah, on we'll, the show. Yeah, we'll keep that one for a surprise. Um, so I think it's just a, a case now of uh, really sitting back and uh, listening to the discussion that we have with the guys um, and the everything that comes out throughout it. Yeah, hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoyed recording it. We're joined by more guests, so we are welcoming Podrick from the Open Gate Brewery. Hello. Welcome. And Jens from Emelise Brewery in the in the Netherlands, and you're, you're a bit of a surprise guest. Yeah. But, but we'll come on to that. Um, guys, do you want to just uh, just introduce yourselves a little bit and tell us what, what you do in, in your respective places? Sure. So I suppose uh, my title is the General Manager of the Open Gate Brewery Taproom Experience here in Dublin. So effectively, everything that doesn't involve the machinery is my little baby here. So uh, everybody comes in, get to look after the guests, get to work with the brewers on picking what beers we're gonna pour in the bar, uh, work with guest brewers, what taps are gonna go in, and basically just make sure everybody who comes here has a lovely experience, gets to talk about beer with us behind the bar and have a really nice time while doing that. Yeah, I'm Jens, I'm the brewmaster of uh, Emelissa, a brewery in the southern part of the Netherlands. Um, We've been brewing there for the last year and a half, and uh, Met up with Peter and Pedrick uh, about three uh, month, uh, three weeks ago, and they asked me if I was brewing some stouts, and that's one of my specialties. Uh, and they asked me to come over for the International Stout Day, and uh, I brought some uh, some really nice stouts of my own to have uh, a taster with the the, the public here uh, at the festival. 
Yeah, and we we tried some of those last night, didn't we? Yeah, so I mean, we we met you yesterday on the we we, we had a, a bit of a coin a phrase, a bit of a VIP experience around the Guinness Guinness site here, and um, we were talking about your beers, and we we tried the uh, fruits of the forest. Stout and the apple pie stout, yeah. I think was the other one. Yeah. Both at six percent. I loved both of them. You particularly taken with the fruits. I, I really forest, enjoyed the fruits of the forest. Uh, I thought the I said this to you last night. The apple stout for me, apple pie stout for me, a little bit too much cinnamon, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit too sweet. Um, but I, I also tried your imperial stout as well. Yeah. Um, I managed to get myself a pour and forgot forgot my cola. Yeah, just, 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 <laughs> for the benefit of the listeners, I went off to do a bit of talking to a few people. Come back and Steve said, "Yeah, the, the Russian imperial from Memelis was really nice." I reached out my hand saying, "Where's mine?" And I was like, ah, sorry, Gone. mate. Yeah, sorry. cheers. Yeah. Um, but we've got, and we've got beer. We've got beer. With, with us as well now. So we're, we're going to try a, a few beers now. What have, um, so, what have you just poured for us? So uh, just poured from the Open Gate Brewery. Um, I think we've both had this before, but it's the Open Gate Brewery Citra IPA. Okay, shall we, uh, shall yeah. we get stuck in? Cheers, cheers lads. Cheers. cheers. I suppose the first thing to say that last night this was one of the most welcome drinks I had. It, it was while we were thoroughly enjoying International Stout Day and the festivities to the maximum, I would say. Yeah, um, it did get to a point where I just needed something that wasn't stout. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit too stout. And, and I think that was a wise move as well last night that you had this on the yeah. bar as well. Yeah. You you obviously realised people would get reach max stout level at, at some point. And yeah, uh, I mean even even here, like so this is kind of like the experimental wing of Guinness Brewing. So the brewery has kind of been here since the sixties, but we only opened the tap room three years ago. Okay. And it's been a little bit true trial and error as to what people actually want when they come in. So you get to like try the brewers get to go and create whatever they want. So we've done uh, you know botanical ales uh, that used like fresh botanicals like uh, bay leaf uh, there's been a strawberry porter which had 40 kilos of fresh strawberries and basil in the beer um, but sometimes people just want a nice easy drinking IPA and we find that a lot of people come in for like the, the mad experimental stuff but end up staying because of the likes of our, our Pilsner our Citra IPA or our, our even Hophouse 13 and Guinness Draft seem to be the, the big sellers because you like you said 20 different stouts pouring last night and that's a lot on the palate yeah. um, especially with all the wild flavours in there Sometimes it's just nice to reset with just a nice, juicy, balanced IPA. And with the ABV of some of the beers that were available last night as well, this brings us back down to the 5%. Nice, nice <laughs> yeah. 5% citrus-laden it, it Just IPA, easy. It's, yeah. it's a very, it's, I mean, it's a very easy, um, it's a well-balanced IPA. Yeah, so... The, You're not we, trying to be... No, we didn't try to go too far west coast or New England on this. Um, and actually, I lived in New England for a couple of years, and within two months of moving home, uh, all of a sudden everybody was raving about New England IPAs. They didn't exist while I was there. It was yeah. just like this really random thing that I got home and everybody's raving about them. Going, I don't remember seeing those. Um, but they're not to everybody's taste. So this is an example of one of the experimental beers that we had on the bar that uh, people really took to. So it was only ever done originally as a small batch, special, 10 heck brew, 12, 16 kegs of it. That was it. But the reaction from people who came in was so powerful. It was like, oh, maybe, maybe we should brew this one again. Did it again a couple of months later, put it back in the bar, and again, great response to it, and it's since ended up in production in our big brew house, Brew House 4, and, and gone out into Ireland and the UK, which is where you can find it. So it's not it's not too juicy, it's not too bitter. Um, find that a lot of people come in as a kind of an entry-level IPA. This is nice. It's a nice introduction to hops without going too far in one direction or the other. 
and uh, yeah, it's got a pretty good reaction to it so far. I think this is. I've seen this in Cairns as well. Yeah, in the, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, co-op, the co-op have it in Cairns in the yeah. UK, definitely. Yeah, I've seen it in there. So, be quite a nice train beer. It's a good train beer. Be just yeah. saying, one of those beers you can just have in the fridge. Exactly. Yeah, it fits perfectly in the bottom shelf of my fridge as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thirty-three CL cans just yeah. fit that shelf perfectly. So, so you mentioned there that you you, you lived in the states for a while. Yep. That was that was with it was with Guinness. Guinness yeah. then. Yeah, yeah. So, so I was. Uh, so Tell us a little bit about what, what you were doing out yeah. there for Guinness yeah so I've actually worked for Guinness for the best part of 14 years so I started off as a tour guide in a storehouse and I was based there for 4 years and then got a, got a move into the draft quality team and I worked between quality and sales in Ireland for 5 years and then was lucky enough to get a move to Boston uh, which was brilliant so basically Irish accent in the most Irish city in the States <laughs> selling an Irish beer definitely wasn't the hardest job I've ever had to do in my life yeah I mean I've just come back from Boston and yeah I would say that that, that fitted perfectly actually Exactly, and a lot of the work I did in Boston was kind of going around to loads of different bars because over here we clean all the, the beer lines every 25 working days by us so we can ensure that draft quality is perfect. When you go to other countries, uh, it's on the responsibility of the bar in a lot of cases, a lot of different rules and uh, regulations about who can sell what to who and what you can do in a cold room. So it was just a lot about educating bar staff of how you can like really, really get your draft quality absolute to perfection. So even simple things like cleaning the nozzles, making sure that the cold room is actually cold and not just an air circulating fan uh, but basically got to cover everything from Boston city centre all the way down to Cape Cod just doing loads of quality checks quality visits uh, and was based there for two of our product launches as well which was really cool to see people's reaction when you bring a new beer into a market like the US Wait, which beers were those? it was a Guinness American Blonde Lager and Guinness Black Lager ok and how were they received? Guinness Black Lager was a really interesting one um, people really liked the taste of it but for a lot of people when they saw it in the glass it was almost like a, a head melt so people would look at a black lager and automatically assume it's going to taste like Guinness. So would be reluctant to try it. And he's trying to bring them on that journey of like, just, just taste it. It's a lager. So get your head around, away from the dark. And when we did blind taste tests, we'd actually cover the color of it. And people, as a lager, would love it. But then when they saw it, automatically the brain would almost switch back to, oh, it's going to taste like Guinness. Mm. But why would we release a Guinness that tastes like Guinness when we already have Guinness draft? <laughs> um, so it was a lot of fun um, with that one. And then American Blonde actually has moved production to our new brewery in Baltimore. So uh, our new brewmaster is X Stone, and he's tweaked the recipe a little bit to make it a little bit more hoppy, a little bit more American lager style. Um, but again, it was a really nice kind of, uh, it was almost like an Irish-inspired American lager. So a little bit more flavor than your standard US lager offering. But again, uses Guinness yeast in it so you still got that uh, little hint of Irishness in there as well oh so there's still a link between the parent and its, and its offspring so yeah it was, it was actually the first time that Guinness yeast has travelled outside the, the country to North America so they actually shipped it pretty much under armed guard from the brewery here over to the US to do the first couple of test batches wow. over there so I mean speaking about the US um, and obviously the, the, the new place that's been opened in Maryland what's the thinking behind opening that because it's a long time since Guinness have done so you wait, we already know that you do they, there is some brewing in Africa, mm-hmm. but generally everyone accepts that Guinness comes out of Dublin. So why have Guinness decided to open a brewery in America, but don't actually brew Guinness Draft, like the traditional Guinness? Yeah, I think uh, well, Guinness Draft, uh, especially for a lot of people in America, it's it's from Dublin. So having it still shipped over from Dublin, it, it's a, just a key part of what Guinness Draft is. Mm-hmm. Um, even globally, like not just like all the Guinness Draft in the UK comes directly from Dublin, so it's brewed here. Um, every pint of Guinness Draft goes through two hundred and eighty, yeah, two hundred eighty-six quality checks before it leaves the brewery gates. Um, so we, we'd like to keep control of that. And then the brewery in the states, then it's basically just free reign to the brewers over there to go and create different styles of beer. Because I'm sure you've seen over the last twenty-four hours 
the Irish beer scene I think is quite different from the UK beer scene which again is quite different from the US beer scene yeah. so with all the best intentions here we can try and create beers for the US market but US brewers are going to know that uh, inside out way better than what we could hope to do here uh, and even have a tighter turnaround and because the taproom here has been quite successful it's nice to be able to do something like that in the States as well with a little bit more of an American style of beers um, being able to play with uh, flavours that are unique to even Baltimore using some local ingredients there so it's kind of like being able to, to do a lot of things globally but like we've always been about innovation so we're able to innovate here in one direction and the US is able to innovate sometimes in the same direction sometimes in different directions but it's constant contact between the two breweries as well so we're sometimes we'll even do the same recipe just in two different locations okay have you visited it or have I have you? yeah and what, what's it what's it like it's cool really cool a um, little bit different from, from what we've got here they've got a kind of well, actually they've got a big scale brewery and a small scale brewery so the big scale brewery will be doing most of the production of American Blonde and then the small scale brewery very similar to here it's beers uniquely for the tap room um, same kind of turnaround time new beer every two weeks or so um, just a little bit more of a different layout maybe a little bit more Guinness brand focused whereas here we're a little bit more stripped back and, and uh little bit more industrial looking at what's over there as well yeah I mean one more question for me this is just a curiosity thing so from the we talked earlier about the Irishness and Boston you know very heavily influenced by by Ireland why didn't they open there well, I mean, why, why Maryland then? The, well, there's the advantage of already having a, a facility in, in Maryland, uh, which wasn't being used for the last couple of years. So it would have been like a huge hub for a lot of the... Uh, we're, we're a part of um, Diageo, which is a big multinational. So they had a setup already in Baltimore that only half of it was being used. So it's the perfect location for a brewery. Um, and even Baltimore traditionally has actually got quite a lot of Irish roots. It was, I think, at one point the second biggest port in the US. So f- it, it's almost one of those things that's sometimes lost to history. But Baltimore yeah. actually has like really, really strong... Irish roots probably on a par with Boston and maybe it's because of Hollywood or, or whatever it doesn't quite get yeah, the same it's always, it's always Boston isn't it it is yeah it's always Boston yep. yeah no, I was just curious about it yeah. just bringing it back to the tap room here mm-hmm. um, tell us a little bit about that so it's, it's been open two three years now is it yeah actually this is uh, this month is our third birthday okay so it's been open um, since November 2015 and uh yeah, over time, we, we so we start off with a couple of our, our big brand stuff and some smaller batches that would rotate every two weeks or so. And as time has gone on, it's, it's grown in popularity and we've increased the amount of taps from 8 to 14. Uh, we work with a couple of uh, local breweries as well to have guest taps on. So when people come in, you're not just getting our beers, you're getting a taste of some of the other great breweries that Ireland has to offer. And uh, for a lot of what we do, it's um, a lot of like flavor explanation. So we still get people coming in. So everybody comes in, uh, there's an eight euro cover charge, but you get four taster beers as part of that. And uh, it's entirely up to yourself to pick whatever four beers you like, or just chat to us behind the bar and we'll help you find a flavor for yourself. So we do tend to get a lot of people like, oh, I don't really drink beer. And it's when you have that kind of conversation, it's like, well, why, why don't you drink beer? It's like, oh, I don't like it. So all beer, really? Uh, what beers have you had? And they'll maybe name off five lagers. Yeah. It's like, well, actually, you don't like lager. So now work with us and we'll give you four different beers that are completely away from lager. So maybe a barrel-aged stout, uh, a nice malty red ale, uh, maybe something like an IPA and a Saison. So there's four completely different flavors in the beer. And nine times out of 10, that person will come back up and go, actually, that's really good. I, I didn't I didn't know that beer could taste like like this. So particularly in the point of a saison, now you can help them when they're in a shop that they might not go for a bottle of wine, they might not go for a gin and tonic, but they'll look for a saison or an IPA or a Russian Imperial Stout because it's, there's so many choice of beer. Being able to help people find their way through that maze by finding the beer that they like is, is really fun to do here. Yeah, I mean, I came here as a punter two years ago, so that would have been around about the first anniversary. <laughs> And uh, with five of my friends, we were just in Dublin for the weekend, and we did do the the four beer taster paddle. 
Um, Unfortunately for my friends, they just went along with what I wanted, which meant I finished off all their beers. So it could <laughs> Did be... you just choose all the barrel stuff? Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I made sure the Antwerp and Stout was in there as well, because I, I think that's really good. That's uh, fantastic. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, but it was, it's also a lovely space, and it's very un-Guinness. Yeah, it's, it's, I not, mean, I know it's not massively it's a, branded. No, uh, you know, obviously everyone knows the Guinness brand, we see it everywhere, um, but... That's not, once you're in here, that doesn't feel like that. No, and made a very conscious decision not to brand the taps with the beers as well. Because I think a lot of people tend to default with their eyes and look to see what's on the bar before mm. they order. So if you take that option away, you have to talk to us behind the bar. So we've got a large chalkboard behind us with the uh, the beers written up on it. And then you have to talk to us to go through the beers. And we'll happily talk about beer for hours. So, uh, you know, we try not to overbook the space as well so that you get like a really, you should have, should have as much fun if you're in here on your own as you do with a group of mates. And a lot of that is coming through us. And if some people know exactly what four beers they want, no problem. Other people need a little bit of help and we're just more than happy to talk about hops or barley or ingredients or brew processes or even similar styles of beer or being able to help you find that flavor that, that you want. So by being able to take away that visual option at the front, it just means we get a lot more conversations mm-hmm. going. That's quite an interesting aspect, actually. It's, it's quite, a, good quite there's a, it, isn't a it? science yeah. behind it, isn't there? Yeah. Um, but Pete, you've actually thought about it. Well, how do we get people to not do stuff with their eyes? Let's let's get them to talk to us. Yeah. Right. We'll remove it from the fonts. I've never thought about it like that. Yeah. And, and one of the things that we've noticed time and time again since we've been out here is, is is with the people that you've got working across the entire facility here. So those that are in the storehouse, uh, the, the Ian, the tour guide that we had yesterday. Everybody's really enthusiastic about what they do. Everybody's really, really passionate about what they do, and that that must translate to your bar staff downstairs as well. Oh, in terms absolutely. Of the passion that they have when they're talking to punters about beer. Yeah, and like they work here for a reason because they're all passionate about beer, but equally like talking about beer as well. And uh, with every paddleboard that we hand out, we'll write down the names of the four beers. But we really want people to give us feedback on the beers. So whether it's good, bad, you enjoyed it, you didn't like it, if you want us to go and brew a kiwi beer or a mango stout, by all means, write it on the back. Like we do take all the common cards seriously. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that's kind of called out consistently as being the highlight of people's experience here is the staff. Because you know, it, it, for us, it's the front line. We get to talk about the beers and our brewers and it's not just a giant production that you push a button here and Guinness comes out the other end there's actually real thought and process that goes into everything and for us being able to tell that to people as they're in is fantastic and equally being able to take that feedback back and have like great conversations like Jens was just saying he's there pouring at the South Festival because we just got chatting at the bar three, four weeks ago Yeah. Uh, so being able to have that kind of fun and chat about beers and do stuff like that it really, really makes the experience I think something uh, almost unique in, mm-hmm. in a lot of Dublin but that's, that's great that you were able to turn around a, a discussion that you had at the bar inside of four weeks to have got your beer here and then you've got three of your beers pouring on International Stout Day and as, as we said earlier the, the festival that you guys have now created around that I mean yeah Jens how does how yeah. do you feel about that you, yeah, I mean you're sitting there with a massive smile yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah true yeah. Well, he was smiling all day yesterday wasn't yeah. he I'm smiling I'm smiling always when I see beer so uh, <laughs> no yeah that was a, a really really uh, lucky thing uh, I was on holiday in Belfast and uh, staying with a mate of mine and he works for the IGO in Belfast and he set up a meeting for me to come and visit the brewery here for a few hours and and we started talking uh, uh, got a tour here as well and uh, afterwards they asked for Jens do you even brew stouts or anything and so yeah I do I have 
four or five right now. So, um, okay, well, it's International Stout Day in, in a few weeks. And just in, in, in 15 minutes, it was all done and set up. And, well, here, three, here you four are. weeks yeah. later, I'm here. But, I mean, you are right. I mean, that's a pretty sharp turnaround, really. I yeah. mean, I know some yeah. of it is just timing and luck, maybe. But yeah. still, I mean, a lot of time... There's a lot of drunken conversations and happy conversations take place at the bars. It doesn't mean something tangible comes out of it, but this is very tangible. You 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 were there yeah. in the Open Gate Brewery at the bar last night. We, we spoke a few times, mm -hmm. and people were trying your beers alongside a whole raft of other ones and and beers from Guinness. Yeah, in the place where the, these experimental beers are brewed here as well. Mm -hmm. So that, that must have felt really good. Yeah, it felt really good. It's it's this is what I uh, why I do it, why I brew my beers to see the reactions on the faces of the people who are drinking my beer for the first time, and and yeah, the best feeling is when they are ordering a second one. Yeah, because that's uh, when you know you've done your job correctly, and and that you uh, when when you see when they taste the first sip and you, you see the reaction on the face that says a lot, mm. and and that's what I do. With the beers, I try to get people out of their comfort zones, uh, so creating new flavors, they which they don't expect in a beer, and uh, as as Patrick said, getting them out of their comfort zone, uh, getting them to taste things they they have, wouldn't normally try or buy, and and just having uh, giving them a little sip and and completely blowing them away with with a little bit of flavor or well a lot of flavor in a, in, in just a small sip yeah I, I, yeah i was gonna say don't don't do your beer down because there was a lot of flavor yeah. in both, in both, well, in both well, the beers yeah, like, like we said the the, the the forest fruits one was six percent six and a half six and a half yeah the, the the amount of flavor that you've got packed into that beer mm. you would think that that's a much higher abv yeah, yeah. If, if i'd had to guess it, I would have said it was going up towards the nine because of the way it felt and the amount of flavour. And usually, you need that alcoholic body to hold it all as well. Yeah. And you've managed to brew a beer. Okay, still six and a half percent, but it's a lot less than you might expect it to be. Yeah. But still, and it, it was it was ever so drinkable. Mm. Now, I think that's the thing. I mean, we we, we did have it in the the tasters. A tiny little taster. Yeah. But I could easily. We could have done a few more of those, couldn't you? Yeah. Um, so now, I mean, with, with, with no trouble whatsoever. But it does make it truly international, doesn't it? I mean, you turn, you've now turned International Stout Day into a bit of a fest weekend celebration, and Jens is ever so dedicated. He's decided to stay for the whole thing as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, dedicated to his art. Well, well done, Jens. But you know, how have you managed to grow into? So you, you're, this is open to the public now, isn't it? Yes. From yep. from so we're recording on the Friday afternoon, the afternoon after the night before the launch. So for the next three days. Joe Public can come in and try all of these these beers now. Yeah, absolutely. And for, for as long as they last, I I, I assume. Yeah, that. I get the feeling the apple pie stale is, is probably going to be gone by the end of the night. But if it's anything to do with us, then sorry. But yeah, um, yeah. But yeah so presumably they, it's the same thing. They they can get the four the four drinks in the yeah. paddle and they can try beers from further afield than they normally would. Yeah, exactly. And uh, like always, whenever we've got guest beers on as well, it's it's priced with our own stuff. So it's not that oh we're making you know we, we can sell it cheaper than others like we want people to just enjoy beer because mm -hmm. uh, Ian's made a really good point there it's like, like beer is about people really and the more people that enjoy beer and get into beer it keeps all of us in the job and get to talk about beer even more so it's like uh, by being able to come in and taste the cappuccino stout that we made and the chili stout that we made but also been like being exposed to, to Jens's beers we've got a couple of beers from Norway pouring and some other Irish guys even pouring on cask this weekend oh we tried the cask one oh it's fantastic yeah, yeah of course you found that 
Yeah. Well, I actually, somehow, <laughs> I picked the table right beside it, didn't I? Yeah. We yeah. sat down right beside the cast last night, so it was obviously meant to be. Clearly, yeah. that was more about we designed than accident, I think. <laughs> but yeah, so we had Dungarvan's um, oatmeal coffee stout pour, which is their winter seasonal, and you've got people coming in who maybe wouldn't have tried a cask beer before, and now they're trying to cask stout, as well as carbonated stouts, and apple pie stouts, and forest fruit stouts, and it just exposes that actually stout is not just this one beer with a nitrogenated head. Yeah. There's so many different the varieties of stout in there as well. Uh, just, yes, yeah, I'm saying, seeing the people's reactions by just even picking flavours and trying stuff and challenge their perceptions of what a dark beer can be of what a light beer can be like that's I think why a lot of us got into beers to you know work with people and talk to people and see their reactions well that's probably quite a good segue to the next beer actually <laughs> is which you've been eyeing up since yeah I've actually, I've actually been ignoring them haven't I I've just been looking at this bowl of beer um, but I'm going to let you introduce this beer Patrick if you don't mind I'll do the pouring and you yep, can, uh, you can away, talk yeah. about it yep so Hopefully you heard the pop of the champagne cork on this one. Um, so Guinness has actually had the same distributor in Belgium for the best part of 100 years, which is John Martin's. And part of the John Martin's family is the Timmermans Lambic Brewery, which is the oldest Lambic Brewery in the world. And again, this kind of came out of a conversation uh, at a bar as well. One of their blenders was over, got chatting to Peter, our brewer at the bar, and was like, oh, maybe we should make a beer together. And uh, because they specialize in Lambics and blends, we don't, but we do specialize in stouts, uh, the, the idea came about it was like what if we blended two or three different beers to make this one kind of different style of a beer so taking their expertise in blends and their Eau de Goose beer uh, we took our West Indies Porter and also a beer that we make exclusively for Belgium which is um, our Belgian special export so you, you probably know it more as Antwerp yeah. um, but we've been making the Belgian special export since 1944 so it's effectively a Guinness beer designed for Belgian taste buds so coming towards the, end, or the, the mid 40s Belgium was kind of rediscovering its its history and heritage of beers and stronger ABVs and more depth of flavour. And the Guinness in Belgium at the time was in around 5%, which wasn't really stacking up when you're looking at 11 12% really big impact beers. So we the John Martins actually came over to Dublin and designed this beer with the Guinness Brewers at the time to make this Belgian style of Guinness Stout. So it's an 8% beer, a little bit sweeter than a West Indies Porter or a Foreign Extra Stout, but blends really well with the West Indies and the Timmermans Udegoos in this. So effectively the flavours you're going to get off this are kind of a liquid Black Forest Gatto, really, for a so you've, you've tried it, but... You haven't, Steve? I've not tried this yet. Jens, have you tried it? Yeah, I did. Okay, two show-offs over the other side <laughs> yeah. of the box. That yeah. we're, we're, using. we're just going to sit and watch the reactions. Yeah. So, um, let's just say cheers. Cheers. Cheers, cheers lads. Cheers, guys. Thank you for, opening, for letting yeah, me open this. You. You're like cherry on the nose. It's, yeah, it's, it's a really sweet nose, isn't it? Wow. I mean, I'm more of a Lambic fan than you. Yeah, but I like that. Yeah. That's the, the stuff that you get off the Lambic has been softened out by the addition of, of, the, of the Guinness yeah. Porter, hasn't it? Yeah, and they use tons of real cherries yeah. in their beer as well. And I think that flavour comes through. You, you are getting a real cherry yeah. flavour. Yeah. I mean, there's even a slight, I, t I don't know whether it's the lighting in here, but there does seem to be a slight pink hue in the in the yeah. head as well. It's it's, it's off-white with ever the slightest ready tinge. That is. On, the, on I, that. I have been looking forward to since you guys announced this release because, yeah. you know, I, I openly admit I like Guinness, I like stouts, and but I, I I'm a big fan of, of of lambics anyway, and the stuff that comes out from Martins, especially because they do a beer called Martins IPA. Oh, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and so I bought a glass. I've got a glass, a techie glass that says Martins IPA. Um, that's everything I was hoping for. That's really lovely. Yeah, I I really like that. That is it's really so well really balanced. good. But again, to get to, be able to get that conversation going, 
and then just make something tangible from that conversation. It is that beer just talking, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that that's incredible. Yeah, and even that's... this was such a fun collaboration to do as well. So guys were over and back between Belgium and here and tasting beers and working with blends and doing things like that. And meanwhile, while they're all doing this, and we know that the beer is going to be uh, coming over to us in mid-September, I was like, well, why don't we do a whole Belgian beer week? So this week we're doing the International Stout Fest. So in September, I was like, well, why don't we do a Belgian beer week and brew some in-house Belgian-style beers ourselves, get in some special guest Belgian brewers. Uh, there's even a brewery on the west coast of Ireland that only make Belgian-style beers, mm-hmm. Mexican Brewery. So we've stocked their stuff uh, as well. And so when people came in, it was all themed around Belgian beers, Belgian food for the whole weekend. And it's, again, it's something different. It's a little bit um, more... Uh, experimental than what we would do normally when people come in uh, I don't mean experimental but like different themes so being able to do like a whole week dedicated to Belgian beers and all of a sudden now you're bringing people into the world of Belgian beers and how Belgian yeast is completely different from what we would use in a lager or a stout uh, again it's just having those brilliant conversations but this, this genuinely was the fastest selling beer we've ever had on draft really like, oh, flew like really flew you, really, you had this on draft we had this on draft no, I yeah. want to cry now yeah I'm a, I'm a bit disappointed <laughs> <laughs> I, I must admit I mean, I mean there's a good chance that you wouldn't have come over for Belgian beer week Steve no it's a very good chance <laughs> and, and like you say I, I'm not such the, the, the fan of lambics and sours as, as, as you are but I, th- I think the way that that's been blended with the stout it, it just softens those flames yeah. a little oh, bit definitely. It's, it's there a little bit mm. But as you say, you are getting a lot of that. You're getting a lot of the cherry coming through. You are getting the, the chocolate. It is a little bit of that. You're still you know, getting, you know, the, sharp, you're still getting the sharpness from the fruit. Yep. That sharpness is still there. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's all been smoothed out. Again, skillful blending. Yeah. Know, we haven't just chucked two beers together. This yeah, is, this it's is blended. But they, they really are experts in blending. That's what yeah, I was going to yeah. say. I mean, if you're going to get some blending experts, these guys have got history, haven't they? So it's worth doing. Yeah. That, but that is lovely. Really Who would have thought that would have worked? Guinness Lambic. Yeah. Effectively, that, you know, that's what... That's essentially what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah Guinness yeah. Lambic. And that would, you know, the closest anyone ever had to that was putting a bit of black currant in the top of their Guinness in their student days. So is this widely available or can people, uh, can people so buy this? You've just cracked open one of 1,500 bottles. So, okay. so Fe- feeling yeah. pretty special now. Yeah, uh, we have I think maybe ten left in stock here in the bar because uh, it's it's been flying out the door. Uh, Timmermans are selling it through their website as well, and there's a couple of independent off licenses in Ireland have a very limited uh, level of bottles left. But yeah, really, really limited. And the reaction to it, I think we were even blown away by it because it was just something fun for us to do and see if it worked. Yeah. And next thing it, it hit Twitter and, and Instagram and uh, my phone was just blowing up with, it's like, can you get me this? Can you get me this? Are you going to have this in yeah. the bar? Are you going to have this in the bar? It's like, have it in the bar, but you're going to have to be really, really quick to get in and, and get it. Is, is it something that you're, you're you're going to repeat now or are, are, you, are you quite happy to keep it as a, as, as a uh, one-off? I, I think we'll have to. Yeah, I, I personally, the I, demands I would, there. Yeah, personally, oh, I, I would love to do like a, a 2019 version and then compare that to the 2018 and maybe keep a bottle or two and age them a little bit as well and see does it does it change the flavour and the taste. But it, uh, it was so much fun because uh, we've got that long-standing relationship with Martins in Belgium as well. Uh, maybe it wouldn't necessarily have to be a lambic and stout next time. We could try something different using different strains of Belgian yeast and different style of fruit in the lambic. So yeah, I, I, I hope we do another one with them. But as an opener for what could be an ongoing. Yeah. Uh, relationship with them for doing these kind of beers it's a very good opener yeah it's not bad yeah um, that's lovely I'm, I'm I mean we were we were you know you, you sort of prepped us that we were hopefully going to get some of this today and so glad it's turned out so well though yeah well and it works really well I mean we're recording as, as we record this it's, it's lunchtime and it's it's almost like perfect lunchtime beer yeah because I, I just had a pastry before this as well <laughs> perfect yeah yeah um, pastry stout? 
<laughs> so again, just just coming back to, to the open gate, how how was it received when it was first opened? Was it oh, it's Guinness trying to be a craft brewery, or or was it was there more of a genuine oh, this is great that they're going to try small batch stuff and they're going to make it quite openly available to the public? How how did it how did it go down? Um, pretty good, to, to be honest. Like we're we're very open that we're we're not a craft brewery. Uh, so we're working off a ten hectolitre kit here, which is bigger than I'd say sixty percent of the Irish craft brewery. So to us, this is not a craft brewery. It's it's a smaller part of of a bigger brewery. Um, but the funny thing is, we've always had an experimental brewery here. So there's been an experimental brewery for over a hundred years. So we've always done small batch stuff. It's just that people outside the gates never got to taste them, mm-hmm. or we would maybe put them into a test market. And it could be in and gone, or it could be launched at full scale. So this allows us like much more interactive feedback, brings people behind the scenes a little bit more. So we've been really busy over the last three years. Um, I mean, there's probably always going to be a little bit of cynicism in, in what we do, but uh, I remember reading a Facebook comment when, uh, I can't remember which beer it was that we put on the bar. Oh, maybe the sea salt and burnt sugar stout that we did a couple of years ago. Um, which is actually the most expensive beer we've ever brewed. Um, yeah, we, we heard about this yesterday. Minute minute I heard it mentioned, I was like, I want to try that beer. <laughs> and then that came up, it was the most expensive beer we've ever brewed and we're never doing it again. Oh, no, no, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll bring it back at some point. But it, it used, can't, do, can't do it every week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It used so much real caramel in there and it really tastes like a liquid creme brulee. But uh, some Facebook post or something went out about it and I just remember reading one of the comments uh, was saying, why do you always have to make new beers? Can you just make the one beer that everybody likes? And you go, well, actually, that one beer that you're referring to has only existed since 1959. So, really, we've made a lot of different beers. Arthur Guinness didn't start 250 years ago making a nitro stout. So, there's a lot of like different products that we've launched over the last 200-odd years. Um, so, it's always been there. It's just now that people actually get to take part in the process with us. And, uh, you know, we even ask people for their feedback on a beer when they're choosing their beers. Like, actually, this is one we're thinking of, of launching. We really, really appreciate your in-depth feedback on this one. And then there's others that we, we really just do make for fun and happily take all the the uh, happiness and criticism that might give. We did, uh, Patrick, our brewer, did a um, shamrock and potato ale for St. Patrick's Day last year. Which, uh, yeah, use potato flour in the mash and shamrocks in the kettle. Uh, divisive is probably the best. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, so, yeah. yeah, I did pour green, like more of a pond green, I would say, than a bright green. And just being able to have like, fun with that while at the same time trying to do stuff like the Citra IPA and our Pilsner and things like that. There's just a lot of fun in, in doing it. And, you know, flavor subjective, beer subjective, people have opinions either way. But I think when you come in and meet us and talk to us, uh, we can strip back a lot of people's preconceptions about mm. what we're doing here and being able to show people this is a kit and it has been here for a large number of years that you know you, we're sitting in a meeting room I think that was probably designed in 1968 there's, there's no windows judging by the breeze blocks yes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the building's always been here it's just that we never really took people in and showed it off and equally maybe five ten years ago in Ireland this wouldn't have worked but people travel more people taste more people are more interested in beer you know it used to be three years ago you go to the pub and talk about football or, or rugby or whatever else now people are going oh what are you drinking what's in your glass and have you tried this have you tried that it's like oh this one's made with this hop and people are talking about beer so it's probably the right time to open it up and show that we've got you know good brewers who get to brew good beers and yeah join us and let's share them and chat about them yeah, well, sorry, just because the reason I came here as a punter is because um, our good friends Wayne and Janice, um, the Irish beer snobs, did recommend it. Mm. So they'd, they'd been here already mm. in the in the opening time, opening days, and opening months. And I was very pleased with how how, how I found it. What I think, and this is probably the bit you didn't get last night, Steve. You actually see the brewery from the from where you're sitting, mm. but obviously last night with uh, the, the the launch, it was a bit hidden. <coughs> 
I like that as well. So you can actually see all the kit. Yeah. It's basically all the shiny silver stuff and lots of buttons that you're not allowed anywhere near. But I like the fact that you can, it's all part of it. It's yeah. all there. So basically, apart from beers you're bringing in from other people, I'm drinking stuff, which again is made a few yards away, isn't it? Yeah. Like the, the chili stout that we had on the bar last night was literally kegged uh, at 9pm the night before. So went in the keg. <laughs> Went into the keg, went on the bar a couple of hours later, and uh, from a distance of five meters. Uh, and it, like taproom legislation is changing in Ireland now, so uh, more breweries will be able to have tap rooms, but uh, which is which is fantastic. But it, we are kind of unique at the minute um, because there's very little like this in Ireland. So it's going to be great to have more breweries being able to do something like this and being able to bring people in and show where the beer is brewed and being able to taste it where it's brewed as well. It's just going to be good for the overall industry. It's great that legislation is it's fantastic changed because yeah, really I mean good. that was so old so out of date it, it was one of the things I love most about living in the States that uh, you know you go to pubs and meet your friends but being able to visit tap rooms uh, I think you, you were just back from mm. Harpoon which was one of my favourite spots yeah. in Boston just being able to sit out look over the harbour of Boston and try experimental stuff try barrel aged stuff try their standard core range eat their pretzels I eat the pretzels <laughs> uh, every, every, everybody who came over to visit was like oh can we visit here I was like nope we're going to Harpoon because you just get to sit in the middle of a brewery uh, see what people are doing and being able to taste the beer right out of there and uh, yeah the more of that the better yeah and like I said the view as well so I think that plays a part of it it's just everything about it but we've been we've always big fans of tap rooms aren't we yeah yeah it can make an experience can't it it just enhances it yeah um, you, it wouldn't necessarily develop into say your local pub but there is something about having the beer where it's made yeah do, do you have a tap room at m yeah well at uh, tap room we have a complete restaurant Oh um, really? Yeah. Oh, so I was sorry. I was looking for you on Twitter earlier, mm-hmm. um, I hadn't appreciated a bit about the restaurant, so that's why I didn't link to that one. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Okay. We have a big restaurant. We're in the center of our city, uh, in an old castle. We rebuild and remodel and build the brewery inside. And we have breweries a big, inside a castle. Uh, yeah, it, it used to be. A castle. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to visit. <laughs> yeah, and. Um, uh, it, it's a, in a really cool spot in the city. Uh, it's the oldest part of the city. We have um, a cellar where we do tastings, and it's uh, from around the 13th century. Um, so really old part of the city, and and we brought it back to life. Um, it was uh, in ruins when uh, uh, it was acquired for the brewery. Um, was vacant for six or seven years and it was uh, almost falling apart and in in nine months time uh, it was renovated from nothing to uh, the biggest brewery in the province uh, with the largest restaurant of the city uh, and we're open seven days a week so so while we've got you guys with us and and, and while we finish off this uh Truly wonderful beer. I have almost uh, finished I, it. I, I think it's, it's fair to say. Um, let's get into uh, this week's question. Opinions, 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 opinions. So this was something that was actually based on um, a campaign that Guinness ran, or still running, or still was running. It, yeah. still running. So um, Guinness uh, launched a switch to pub mode campaign um, uh, a while back, it was back in September, um, which was essentially to try and encourage people to, to put their phone away when, when they're out with friends. Um, and I think it even went to the extent of, weren't there little like cupboards or something that yeah, you could lock you your phone, lock your phone away? There's like a little, little set of drawers on the table or something, you just put it in, in there. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and we heard about that, and but it sort of coincided with. Um, uh, this is a, a long-standing question from a listener of ours about you know his mobile phone, you know, an unwelcome distraction in, in pubs these days. Before we get into it too much, we went to a pub yesterday nearby, didn't we? Arthur's we did, pub. Yeah. And I happened to comment that it's quite unusual these days. There was no TV. You said you looked on the website. And they purposely don't and they, have a they were quite proud of the fact that they don't have a television because they felt as though it takes away from the atmosphere in in, in the place that people are too distracted yeah. by the, the, the television. Because I get bars that are geared towards sports; they have the TVs. What I've never understood is those pubs which have a TV with like BBC News Twenty Four on mm. all the time, because you can't help but get drawn into it. But it's not serving a useful purpose whatsoever. Yeah. So I've never understood that. And yeah, it was place was buzzing yesterday about it was, it was I mean fantastic. a lot of it was because people are coming over here it's about a two minute walk from the storehouse but it was really nice wasn't it people were just chatting away mm. and then you actually didn't see much mobile phone use no no, no I think even we had our phones well, like, you, yeah, yeah, you almost lost yours. Once I've been, yeah, reunited <laughs> after leaving it in the back of the taxi. <laughs> and not the first time. No, but, um, you know, I, I doubt whether I'll listen to this, but I do want to thank the taxi driver for actually bringing it back to me. He brought it back to the pub. Yeah, it was there, phones down. It was like in your pocket. Or, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not, don't not, just leave it in the taxi. Yeah. So, yeah, so the question, so we asked the question to, to, to Twitter, is the mobile phone an unwelcome distraction with modern day drinking culture? We have 583 votes, so thank you, everyone. Um, yes, 46%, no, 54%. It was actually closer than I thought it was going to be. It was closer than I thought it was going to be, and I'm actually really surprised at the result as well, because I thought it would have been an overwhelming yes, yes. that it is a distraction, but it, it seems as though most people went, well, not most people, a smaller percentage went for no. Yeah, which was I thought was a bit odd and stuff, but I mean, I suppose before we get into the comments, how, how has it been received over here, that, that campaign? What, what, what did people think about it? Uh, it's been received really well, especially from pub owners. It was like, it's great to get people back into the pub and talk to your mates. So if, if you're there talking to your mates, well, who are you actually texting? Who are you do, like, what are you doing on your phone if, if the people that you want to meet are there? So it's about, you know, get in, catch up, sit down, relax, forget about the stresses of everything, enjoy your point, have a chat with the people who you're there with, and, you know, it's real life interaction, real life conversation. So it's actually been received really, really positively about getting people back out into a bar, have a chat and uh, just ignore the rest of the world. Just put the phone down for, for an hour, catch up with your friend, ask about how things are going on. Because um, we all have like daily conversations by text mm. and WhatsApp and whatever else, but a lot of the best conversations are literally face-to-face, across the table yeah. from each other, and just make the most of that, that time. Uh, what, what, what's it like in the, in the Netherlands, the, the phone culture in bars and restaurants? Uh, you see a lot of phone use, um, especially on the... On the uh, the less busy it is, the more people tend to use their phone. Um, but yeah, it, it's people have gotten used to it. Um, it's not seen as something um, anti-social or anything. People still communicate with each other, um, but it, it's not that dissimilar from, say, twenty years ago when people were reading the newspaper. Uh, I mean, you have your newspaper on your phone right now. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, reading newspaper, your head is in the newspaper and you're not looking at anything, you're not communicating with anybody. And now it's the phone. It's a, yeah. Yeah, I read, I read the news on my phone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, I, think yeah. I, see that, I see that on the train. You know, I commute into work every day and it yeah. used to be 20 years ago, the big papers, yeah. you know, you might see the top of someone's head, but mm. you, you, you wouldn't be interacting because mm. you are reading the paper. Um, I mean, the thing for me, I think I did vote no. Um, and uh, what I've I've been doing a 
a course for uh, a coaching course with work and um, one of the first things that the professional coaches say is about they show a little advert uh, like a minute clip of where people are distracted by the phone because it takes them out of the moment and that's just their way of saying look we're here the, the bank I work for has paid for us to be here make the most of it the most of it probably doesn't involve using the phone and when I'm doing the coaching myself I, I first of all I I want to get the most out of it, so I put the phone away, but also I want to lead by example and put the phone away. Um, and that has started to translate for me, like at home with Michelle, um, when we're out. I mean, I've still got a raft of beers to untap. <laughs> at some point, I'll probably do that tomorrow now, but at this rate. Um, because, you know, yesterday, I used my phone just to take a few photographs when we were wandering around Guinness mm. and in here last night. But the rest of the time, we were just chatting. Yeah, you know, yeah, chatting to you at the bar, Patrick, we were chatting during the day. Yeah. There wasn't actually time to almost look at the phone and stuff and I found it it is refreshing when you don't do it but you almost have to do it consciously yeah I was, I was at a Indie, Indie Man Beer Con a couple of weeks back and uh, when I got there I was like alright I need to remember what beers I've, I've tasted and tried forgot about my phone the first five minutes because I had so much fun talking to everybody else that it was only when I got on the plane to come back home that evening I was like oh right I should probably actually catch up on what was happening around mm. but everybody was so nice and so friendly and just chatting across the thing you just completely forget about everything else and that's kind of what well you had the same experience in your band didn't you yeah I mean I think you posted the first two pictures and then that was it that was I, it I put my phone away because I just wanted to I wanted to enjoy being in the moment and talking to people and just enjoying the atmosphere yeah and I think that's it but you do I think you do because you, like you say uh, yeah it becomes such a part of daily life mm -hmm. You do have to put, it is a conscious effort now to yeah, put it away. Yeah, yeah, you have yeah. to either put it face down, put it in your pocket, put it in your bag, uh, leave it on taxis, whichever whichever your method is to, <laughs> yeah. to forget about your phone. Yes, it's going to get mentioned. Yeah, okay. oh, it's yeah. Gonna, it's gonna, yeah. <laughs> Until I do it myself, in which that, case then yeah, I'll be yeah. quiet about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think, you know, good time to get into some of the, the comments from our listeners. Well, I think before, before we do well, that. I was going to save yours. We've, well, no, we've got empty glasses, mate. Oh, you're going to suggest that we need a top up? I, I think we need a top up, and I'll mine up Yenzi's beers across the table. Okay, as well, well, well I'll, I'll pass you yeah, <laughs> We've got some fresh glasses. Uh, yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. we're professional. Oh, the final, just just while, while we're pouring those, final thoughts on the uh, the, the land because it just out. stayed drinkable the whole way through. Yeah. And I've got no idea why Patrick didn't give us a bottle each to drink. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have to share that. I oh, know. Between four, four people. people Two of them have had it before. I know. Well, we can we can have a look at your luggage allowance on the way home, and Ooh, yeah. no, maybe, maybe yeah. bottle two and three of the fifteen hundred <laughs> might make a yeah, reason. I mean, okay. yeah, seriously though, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, thanks I was, for uh, letting us. Yeah, I was very excited about trying it because I'm a big Lambic fan. Yeah, um, but it turned. I probably exceeded my expectations, and I think that you know that must be for Guinness. That you said it, your phone blew up basically because of all the stuff because people probably were anticipating it but for it to exceed expectations is yeah, good. It, it was good one of the uh, bars I used to drink in in Boston um, had an amazing selection I think they had 30 different taps but they managed it really really well and it was a selection of like you know big brand to the tiniest 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 local brewery so the bar manager actually sent me a message on Facebook going, I just saw this and if there's any way you can get a bottle over to here it's going to be our, like a Christmas celebration thing between the team because they, they crack open a bottle on Christmas Eve after it closed down for the whole Christmas period and I was like I don't think there's too many beers that people would go out and seek to do something like that. So mm -hmm. yeah, it feels really, really good. That, really that, yeah, that's quite cool. Yeah, but yeah. Well, what did you? I mean, there's a. I mean, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought the flavours worked really well. It wasn't overly sour from my perspective. Um, it was just a real nice balance, fruity all the way through, uh, and just really soft on the finish. Yeah, as, as cracking, well. cracking. Yeah. So, 
Yens, while we've been discussing our final thoughts on the beer, has poured one of his one of his beers. Would you like to describe what beer you've uh, poured for us, Jens? Yeah, yeah. I've taken two beers uh, to pour today. Um, it's of our new line, the Barrel Finish line. That's a limited edition release each time. And we're doing about three different kinds each year. And the Barrel Finished is something completely different than, uh, well, not completely different, but uh, you see a lot of barrel aging right now and it's leaving the beer in for six months, eight months to 12 months or even more. But um, you see a lot of whiskey barrels and stuff like that, but whiskey has a really powerful flavor to it and a lot of barrels have a lot of powerful flavors in it. And you notice sometimes when it's left too long, the, the, the flavor uh, of the whiskey takes over and you're not tasting the beer. So in, in the barrel finished philosophy, less is more. So making it a little bit more balanced and, and leaving it uh, for less time uh, than uh, a barrel aged beer uh, still keeps the beer intact but giving a hint of the barrel uh, or a little bit more but keeping it more level to it um, especially for this series um, I've now poured the barrel finish 2 which is a barley wine uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it, where did it all go wrong this weekend? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. and it's 11% uh, course it's yeah we uh, finished it on Bowmore barrels for the second lay for three months. Uh, I've got the barrel finished one, and that's for after this one. And it was aged on the Bow same Bowmore barrels, but for five weeks. So for a second lay, three months is still nothing. And to keep it more controllable, because Bowmore is a really uh, heavy flavored whiskey, um, I uh, used larger barrels. Normal barrels are uh, around 200 liters. Uh, I used Bowmore barrels of 500 liters. Uh, so you have less wood to beer contact per liter. Uh, so the flavor is more controllable. And it still took yeah, five weeks for the barrel finished one. And then afterwards three months for the barrel finished two. Um, but we're going to start with the barley wine because I want to end with the barrel finished one because that's the imperial russian stout and uh, so this will be is this the barrel finished version of the one that steve tried last no night? The, the the barrel finished beers are always one-off recipes mm. uh as okay well. so this is slightly different yeah. yeah yeah okay excellent all right let's get so, into it so cheers. cheers 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 thank you for sharing love that nose mm. it's got a slightly sweet yes a little bit fruity as well yeah like the label on your bottle, by the way. Thank you. Because it's got Thank that you. sort of barrel look to it on the label. Yeah. yeah. I think it was one of the things that we were blown away with when we, uh, after we met, and Jens got the train back up to Belfast, we kind of researched the website, and uh, the way he explains his beers on it is, is brilliant, but the labelling on all the bottles is just uh, some of the best I've seen. That's not like a barley wine I've ever tasted. So the nose is very barley wine-like. Mm -hmm. That sweetness, that slightly fruit, cake yeah. flavour, aroma. The, the it hasn't got that sweet cloyness that you often get with barley wine, almost that sugary coating. That's just really smooth. It's really earthy. I'm getting a little bit of little bit of smoke, a little bit of peat from that as as well. But really, like you say, really finely balanced. I'm still taking. Yeah. I've got beer first. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. that was the point. Still having the beer first, not the barrel it it has been uh, on. That's 
Excellent. That's really good. Well, I mean, te- technically, you know, we're actually sharing Patrick's stock here, aren't we? Yeah. We, we are, yeah. <laughs> because uh, you know, pa- Patrick has a little <laughs> secret stash. Pull, pull these out of a box next to his desk. Yeah. That's, you know, that's the sort of desk I want. <laughs> um, so while we're enjoying this, let's go, let's go through some of these comments that, that our listeners made. So first up from Paul at UNRCD. It was Paul's question yep. originally. Um, so um, he said if he's, if he's on his own, he'll use his phone to check in beers and to read Twitter, etc. In a group situation, I tried my best to leave my phone alone and we'll check in beers, etc. the next day. Don't always succeed though, and I, I think we do see that quite yeah. a lot, don't we? Especially when we're at um, bottle share, some people are on their phones checking in their beers. Whereas I know I'm, I've now got to a point where I try to do my best to leave my phone in my pocket. I write notes and yeah. I'll, I'll then check them all in. Yeah, I mean my, my notes get progressively less descriptive oh, mine do. as the bottle <laughs> share goes and it's on. Unlegible. Yeah, as, by as the well. end it's a word. Yeah, which I'm thinking, what have I written? But yeah, I try to, I try to do the same. Now. I think there's a few of us that do that. Yeah. Um, are our friend and creative director Clayton kindly prints us out a little tick sheet for us to put does, some comments yeah. on. Yeah, very, very organised. Yeah. Wayne and Janice, uh, the beer snobs, did a bottle share last January as part of Triannuary and brilliantly held it in the basement of a pub. So phones just wouldn't work for reception. Yeah. So people just took a picture of the full lineup at the start and then that was the end of the phones for the rest of the night. Cool, good way of doing it. Yeah, and Janice did actually make a comment as well. So um, from Janice at Mrs. Beer Snob, yes, it's becoming a major bugbear when people start using their new phones when I'm out for a few sociables. I've actually started curtailing my social media time and turning off my phone more frequently now. Yeah, and I think she's alluded to that in the past. I think uh, she, she definitely, her and Wayne both definitely retweeted the information about. Well, that, they also guessing. spoke about this on one of their recent podcasts. Yeah. They, they they did a, had a brief chat about yeah. this this as well. So no, I've, I'm you know found 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 it really interesting about their their comments and stuff and about it. I think put, putting something with it is actually no signal. Yeah, that's actually quite a good way because you haven't actually said don't use your phone. Yeah, exactly. You, you just you just can't use you it. can't use your phone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's one of those things about what I like still being on a plane. You know, every now and again they talk about, oh, we, we've got the technology now where people better make phone calls. That'd be my worst nightmare. There's someone on the phone on the plane. There's nowhere to go. Yeah, that'd be awful. I get bad enough on the train. I was going to say you get pretty ragey on the train. Well, yeah, I do. Wrong. I do. Yeah. You can imagine me getting air rage. <laughs> and then I won't be. Able to, I, I was going to say you can actually get arrested for that. Yeah, I know that's different. <laughs> um, so from uh, Andrew at Wrestle and Drink, and from Greg Bullman at Greg Bullman. Their comments are fairly much the same. I've met a lot of people that I'm now friends with, or at least, or even at least social with in the beer community because of my phone and its apps, which again is probably very true. I think yeah. you know I we'd think all we'd covered all, that before. Yeah, we'd all attest, yeah. attest to that, wouldn't we? Um, phones are great for connecting with people, so there's a, a lot to like about smartphones in relation to drinking culture. However, I have a big problem with phones in the pub or tap room when you have a group of friends looking at their screens and not talking to each other. And that was sort of fairly much. Uh, there's a few comments, but that was particularly from uh, at Gregor J and at Rob Edwards ninety. They said that, didn't they? Yeah. And I think that's probably where I come in now these days. Is that make it if you are going to use it, make it brief. If yeah, if I'm out with my friends, then I'm I'm there to spend time with my friends. Yeah. Not not to be on on my phone. I mean, you, you know, the untapped check-ins can wait. Yeah, yeah, but I I used to think that they couldn't. Yeah. I I, I did used to get especially when it's first. It's new. It's all bright new and shiny. I thought I've got to do it there. But then I also discovered you could check in from a location even if you weren't there the next day. Yeah, it's provided you were quite close. Um, so yeah, it's like well, don't, doesn't really matter. I can do that anytime. It's for me, it's a personal record. So that well, when well, I get back to it, I've got them all on there. But 
I don't need two at a time. Go, going back to when, when we were in Arthur's yesterday lunchtime, like I say, we, when I eventually was repatriated with my phone, um, we, our phones were on the table, but we weren't using them. We, we'd used them once because there were a few beers on the bar that we were unsure of yeah. which one we wanted to try. So we went onto Untapped and we had a look and we actually used it to, to make the decision. And it worked really well. It, it did work really well, yeah. <laughs> it did work really well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just continuing on. So from uh, Carl, the bearded one, at the bearded one, uh, yes, hate them. I would rather I put it in a locked box. That's very handy. Yeah. Come to come to come to Ireland. There's lots of them. <laughs> um, when I talk, walk into a pub or bar, everyone else can do what they want, though. But it annoys me how how I go for it all the time. So I think that's what you're saying. What we said. It's, it's, yeah. You have to be conscious about it, yeah. don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Which is probably why Guinness came up with a put it in a box. Yeah. Actually, to take it away. Because yeah. once it's on you, that's how I found it on this course. As soon as we um, have a break, so everyone's got the phone. Everyone's away, on their phone. Straight yeah. away. There was one, one group I had, so you have a group of six people, and it said, right, we've got about 10 minutes, and the, the coaches are very strict about our timings. And we were 10 metres from the door to go out to the breakout area. Four out of the six people were already on their phone before we got out of the room. It was like, yeah. so quick to do it. I know it's like there's a work thing, but it was like straight away. That was the first thing. Out of everything else they wanted to do, before we even think about going to the restroom or anything, it was on the phone. Yeah. And I think, Jens, we were talking to you yesterday about you, you were saying you manage the untapped for Emily's as well, which yeah. must be quite a challenge at <laughs> yeah, times yeah, yeah. to stay sane. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You have to take untapped with a, a, a large grain of salt um, because it's for everyone and, and not everyone that uses untapped uh, uses it for the right reasons. It... it um, most of the people are checking in on taste, not on quality. Um, so, and and that's what we as a brewer look like, uh, look at. Um, is my beer uh, the good quality we want? Uh, we're not trying to make a beer that's likable for everybody. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at Untapped, and then. Uh, for instance, I, I had an, a, a check-in of our triple IPA, and they they said it was disappointed. And I looked at the label on the photo of it. It was a triple IPA that was released, uh, well, at least eight years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are no, no many. They're disappointed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a, a triple IPA aged, nah. They, they, that's not I mean, the that's, best that's thing. even gone past mm. being a barley wine. Yeah. By, by yeah. that point, everything, well, yeah, you, everything's dead in You there. can't be judging yeah. it as a triple IPA. No, no. Yeah. But why would you eat a triple IPA? I mean, it's... But, yeah, you have to take it with a grain of salt and you have to pick out the ones you have to believe and the other ones you have to just let go. Mm. Um, and, and, yeah, we, we try to be as immersive on tap as possible so we like to check in the people who are drinking uh, our beers regularly but also if they're giving us uh, a, a, a big a great score we like to be interactive with our drinkers um, and and creating a bond with them um, but uh, yeah it's, that's, I mean, that's a good idea we yeah. spoke about that yesterday and I think that's really nice because sometimes on Twitter uh, you'll get a batch of a batch of your tweets will get just re automatically retweeted by the brewery yeah. and I'm thinking 
Uh, that actual beer I didn't like that much why have you retweeted it just that's, some autos. that's a little bit frustrating yeah. when breweries are just retweeting yeah. on tap check-ins yeah. and I'm yeah. thinking yeah. you probably yeah. didn't read those comments of mine because yeah. <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't retweet it if you had um, yeah. but yeah going back, going back I just want to go back to some of the comments I like the next comment yeah okay I think the next couple actually focus a little bit on untapped as yeah. well don't they um, so from Sean O'Reilly Uncrulier and he's our um, he's our he's our wizard with numbers yes so we don't understand anything other than pints he does, and yeah. he, he's translated them all for us. So much so that we've now got it on our we, notes. We, we now have a little, uh, a little crib thing at the top <laughs> of our notes that tells us what a hectolitre is, how many in pints, how many barrels in pints, and what a firkin is in pints as well. Yeah, that's, that's, all thanks, that's all thanks to Sean. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. worked that out. So for he's us definitely as well. getting a read out here. So I find it irritating when people that I'm drinking with aren't really present in the moment, which I think we've alluded to, because they're too engaged with their phones. I used to be quite guilty of that myself. These days are usually untapped the next day and keep off social media when I'm out, but not always. Sometimes I'm snapping pictures or making voice recordings of notes for a blog. If I hadn't started blogging, I don't think I would have got into beer Twitter and would have missed out on a lot of interaction with great people like yourselves. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Um, he's, he's campaigning really hard to be part of the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think <laughs> yeah. we can bring him in. Yeah. I think we can bring him in. Um, and then, again, sort of using Untapped again as an example. So from Points of Brew, at Points of Brew, I'd say no, so long as usage whilst out is checking a beer in on a tapped or looking up a beer on tapped, which is exactly the two things mm-hmm. that we only did with our phone yesterday. Much the same way I wouldn't want someone to sit on their phone all night if having a meal out. But you wouldn't, would you? If, if you were out for a meal, you wouldn't be sat there. I think, I, I think that has started creeping well, in now as well. That's actually quite an interesting one. There's a, a restaurant in New York, and I think they've been on the go for uh, since 1962, 1963, and their, their TripAdvisor scores in the last five years have been getting worse and worse about service time uh, and turnover time etc etc and they actually released video footage so they were one of the first restaurants in New York to ever put in CCTV so they had a footage of an average night on a Friday night in 1988 versus an average night now and the difference is when the food comes out people are taking their phones out taking pictures tweeting it Instagramming it and that adds on five minutes per course for a four course meal so now you're 20 minutes longer for a table to sit there and move on to the next one so it's actually the restaurants are still serving the food at the same speed at the same time it's people are taking so much longer to do it that no wonder the food has gone cold that's brilliant that is you could do like one of those merge them together kind of thing which is actually what they did they released the two together and within the time frame I think it was an hour of the service of the one area of the restaurant and in 1988 not that they were rushing people through people were going eating their dinner moving along and people were talking across the table and still eating their dinner and moving along I think they had four sittings on the, in the one section compared to two now because people are just taking so much longer to post it, picture it, filter it, retake it, pose with your friend to take another picture of it and it just adds on so much that it puts the kitchen under more pressure to get the next one out and it's just a knock-on effect along the way. That's really interesting because yeah. that's actually a reduction in foot flow. If, yeah, if, the if business, people yeah. are sat at the table longer you're not turning that table around, are you? Yeah. You're not bringing more customers. And then, but they're not spending any extra money because then they they're, st- they're not you they're not eating or drinking, so they're yeah. not spending extra money. That's really interesting. And they're actually eating less as well because by the time they get to the end of the main course, it's actually going cold because they're yeah. taking so much longer faffing about as it gets to the table before they actually get stuck into it and eat it. Which is the opposite I did with the Irish stew yesterday. It burned my mouth when I went into it. I was going to say you annihilated that. <laughs> <laughs> um, just before we go on to any more comments, the beer that the beer is gone. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Some final thoughts on the barley wine. Well, firstly, really drinkable, really smooth. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit of a burn on it. Uh, only the only yeah. ever so slightly. Yeah. So you still know it's, there is a bit of booze in there. Yeah. Which I think is always good when you are drinking a big beer. You should know there's a little bit of extra going on. 
but so smooth. You still wouldn't pitch it at 11%. Um, I, I think those slightly woody, ever so slightly smoky notes that you would expect from, from what was used for those vowels previously. Mm. But I like the idea that it was just a, a finish. Yeah. And that worked. I, I can understand it. A, the way Jens described it, which I think was really good actually. And once you've tasted it afterwards, you get it. Because we've had barrel aged beers. Yeah. And there are times when those very whiskey, especially those very peaty whiskies, then I am, and I like the peaty whiskey, but I prefer peaty whiskey when I'm in a peaty whiskey rather, rather than in a beer. In a beer. Yeah. So, so, superb. And this, so, this. so what have we got now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, this looks uh, dark and yeah, meaningful. It is, it is the international stout. It is, and it's, it's, what, it's what we're here uh, for. Yes, yes, yep, he's on yep. brand, he's on message. Yeah, yeah. So we're ending with uh, barrel finish number one. Uh, the one that started it all uh, with the, the, the series uh, and it's an Imperial Russian stout of 13% and this was aged for just five weeks on the Bowmore barrels, the big ones um, and this uh, beer I got a, a golden award on an international festival in Germany uh, oh, one of the Congratulations. thank you uh, one of the, the, the biggest awards in, in my uh, well small beer, beer career I'm, I'm still a, a newbie uh, to say it I'm now three years full-time brewer uh, but yeah to get uh, the big award says I'm on the right track in uh, which is in always the quite nice to get that sort of affirmation isn't absolutely it? Yeah, yeah yeah that must be really encouraging well, I, 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 I the, 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 the there are a lot of um, uh, comp- uh, competitions you can I- enter um, and it's really cool to win a an award but still for me the biggest award is seeing the smiles on the face that people drink uh, if I see that my keg is one of the first that's empty that's the, the biggest award I want uh, I mean the, the winning uh, a competition means that a, a few uh, beer snobs really like the beer and that's cool too because they really know what they are doing but it's still for me for yeah getting the people into the beer and, and seeing their uh, chains in, in, in face and seeing their reaction to it. Well, let's give him our reaction. Yeah, then. yeah, let's, let's, let's do it. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, I might just smell this, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible nose. If you could turn this into an air freshener. <laughs> in the car. <laughs> you get pulled over and you, you get arrested, Give me, give me a magic tree that smells <laughs> like this. So this is five weeks on the barrel finishing, whereas the barley wine was the three months, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, because the barley wine was the second play, so the first intensity was already in the Imperial Russian Stout, and then I added the barley wine on the same barrels. Oh, that's a big finish on that. <laughs> that's that's really. I don't know if I've had. Have we had many barrel pitiness. finished before? I don't think we've ever had it, and I've done. Until about an hour ago, I'd never heard the phrase barrel finished. It's the first time I've, I've heard it. It's, it's, it's normally barrel aged yeah. or yeah. it's... Yeah, barrel what? finished is a whiskey term and yeah. that's why I used it because the first one is a whiskey as well. Because a lot of whiskies are aged on uh, a certain type of barrel, but then they are uh, getting finished for three or six months on a different barrel, a cherry barrel, or a bourbon barrel or anything, to get a little bit of a different note to it. Uh, so that's why I use the term barrel finished. 
Oh, well, I think perfectly describes it, actually. That that would have been really nice to have done alongside the Landit style. I, I think it would have been a perfect contrast. I think it is a contrast. Really light and fruity and really dark and woody. Yeah. I'm getting less of that sort of uh, peatiness you were describing. I'm getting a little bit of smoke. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting, getting yeah. some smoke in there. Yeah, but it's ever so fine. Yeah. Again, the alcohol booze burn very light and very yeah, subtle it's, yeah. it's very light yeah. but that one feels like it's a big ABV yeah. for me I think it feels bigger than the last one I still would struggle to put it 13 did yeah. you say yeah, it is yeah, it I'm is. sure I picked it at 13 it's, though yeah you know, you know later on or tomorrow when we're questioning where the wheels fell off oh it's here this, this is definitely yeah. where they yeah. were loosened yeah. so for, for the benefit <laughs> of our listeners it's, it's 1.45 on the Friday <laughs> afternoon <laughs> Right, let's get through the, the, the last few comments here. So, uh, Miles Lambert at Miles Lambert, there's two elements to this. When you're out and about, yeah, don't get, get anti-social and speak to the folk around you. The flip side of that is the sociable sat at home on your own scenario. I've had many an evening where if it wasn't for my phone and social media, I'd be lonely with my own thoughts. Social media allows me to express views and interact with others. And I think that's a good side of social media. Yeah. You know, because we all know with the way people have been, you know, about mental and emotional health these days, that people can be negatively impacted by social media but the, this is the positive side of social media you know yeah. and Miles things, himself things like this, Miles it? does yeah. things like um, you know stuff on, uh, like the, the quiz like yeah. the interactive pub quiz on Twitter on a Tuesday night um, and you can get involved with people without actually having to see them because we're at different parts of the country that kind of stuff that's the positive aspect of it and I think it's quite nice that Miles highlighted that side yeah. of it as well without, without a doubt um, at Yes Our blog said, I tend to keep my phone away when I'm sat in the pub with other people. I've got my camera for me with photos um, I want to take, so no reason to get it out. I'm quite bad for sitting at home flicking through my phone, uh, but out and about generally it's in my pocket bag. So again, just kind of saying the same sort of thing as, 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 as Miles was saying there. Quite a good idea to have the camera separate. Yeah. Because if, as soon as you take your phone out to have a camera, you'll see that something has flashed up. Yeah. Yeah. For, for yeah. me, a yeah. camera would just be another thing to leave in the back of a cab. Mm. <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going to start preempting you with your dicks as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's only because you didn't give me the Russian Imperial Stout last night. Well, yeah. I think, I think there's still a little bit in the tap. <laughs> oh, damn. What was I saying, damn, for? Yeah. Right. So, uh, Mark at Kelfide, it's a balancing act. I definitely use my phone too much on occasion when in company, but it also allows me to quickly find good beer and to discuss it on Twitter and Facebook when I'm out. Overall, it's a massive positive, but need to make sure I'm not being rude. That's probably a good way, a good way of looking at it, actually, isn't it? It's, yeah. you know, just, just don't be rude. It's being aware, isn't it? Because you generally, you know, when mobile phones first came to, it really was only when people were taking a call. And I admit, and that still annoys me now, but I get that it happens sometimes. But when you hear some of the conversations people are having at the time, and this is where my train rage comes, it's like that conversation didn't need to take place at that time with a hundred of us packed in a train. You know, mm. sometimes just wait, just because you can. And also, a phone call. If you're talking to someone who you've got, I don't make phone calls. I'm bloke. I don't do many phone calls. You know, I'm quite happy to make do messages and then meet up and do all the chat then. But if you do, if you aren't going to make time to have a phone call, do the right thing. Do it in private so that people are getting your full attention. Because if you're in a public place, you are not giving that person the full attention anyway. So don't pretend you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. true. That's the way I look at it. But no, I, think, no. I think it's a good point. Is that if you are going to use it, just make sure you're not being rude. Yeah, just yeah. be blind. Yeah. Yeah. Usage. And the most annoying part of taking phone calls are the people with those earpieces. Yeah, oh, they, no, they started yeah. talking. It's to the ones without them. 
who do the FaceTime. Oh, yeah. And walk yeah, around with the phone yeah, in front of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, at least put the headphones in, please. <laughs> yeah. I don't need to hear both parts of the conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> care what the other person's going to say. Yeah. Um, and so, the, the, you know, the final comment we had, uh, well, the final comment we're, we're sharing because we did have plenty of comments. Again, thank, as, as thank always, you, everyone, yeah. who provided comments. Uh, Joe Hill at Multiplex Rant. No, it's brilliant. It's the nexus of my beer geek life. I've discovered so many beers and made online and subsequently real friendships with people as a result. Just don't use it in the pub or at least use it discreetly. I know we sort of echoes what I Mark was saying. Kind of sums it yeah. up. So, nice. so yeah, where we are, so I think yeah. that was an appropriate comment to finish off on. Yeah, you know, about that. And as you say, you know, um, we will always encourage people to continue to get involved in the discussion, use the hashtag opinions uh, and we'll find you um, and, and obviously share your views on this one as well. So, while we're just finishing off the, the, the beers, just some uh, final question for each of our guests. Um, Podrick, what's next for the Open Gate Brewery? Where, where do you go next with what you're doing here? Um, oh, good question, that. Uh, we've just got planning permission for a kitchen to go into the, the taproom space, so we'd really like to do a little bit more about the beer and food. Because, you know, one of the bugbears that I have in life is when you go to um, any restaurant and uh, I'm my wife drinks wine, I'm much more of a beer drinker. Um, I'm just not a huge fan of the taste of wine, I just prefer the taste of beer. And beer does work really well with food, but when you know, it's like, oh, what beers have you got? And it's, it's almost like an afterthought on the menu. So we'd like to try and bring beer and food a little bit closer together and kind of encourage people to, to play around with things that, you know, pilsners work almost different with this kind of food than this kind uh, or maybe like a, a barrel age would work really well with like a, a chocolate truffle but not so well with, with something else and we've been able to marry the beer and food together a little bit more um, again it's all about that beer education piece and bringing people on a journey and just being able to do a little bit more in that food and beer space uh, we would definitely like to do a little bit more on barrel aging uh, and again this has just been an inspiration this weekend with what you can actually do with barrels and barrel finishing um, so yeah it's way more experimentation way more fun stuff and uh, yeah hopefully marry in the food a little bit as well brilliant and Jens we don't we don't really see a lot of Emelise in the UK no, um, no. You, I mean I've, I've in the past I've picked up a few of your beers from certain certain outlets I think you used to come in through Hours by Mel who are sadly no longer yeah. operating so um what, what what's next for what's next for the brewery? Uh, well, we are looking into uh, new ways of getting our beers to the UK. Uh, we do have a few leads. Uh, about six weeks ago, we got some new contacts to get our beers to the UK, and and, and uh, we have a big range. Uh, so uh, it's looking to different partners who are looking to different styles of beers um, and and there are a lot of beers to looking forward as well end of uh, November we're launching our barrel age line we do have a barrel age line we're now drinking the barrel finished line but we do have a barrel age line and we're always releasing that uh, at the end of November um, probably send you some bottles so you can uh, taste those as well if you insist yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally we'll do a follow up show yeah. someone we'll has, someone has to do it yeah yeah we'll take um, one for the two yeah. yeah yeah I'm happy to send those and and yeah it, it's uh, we are are expanding our brewery is growing uh, uh, this year we did 2,000 hectoliters. Uh, you can see on the sheet how much, how many, uh, right. how many pints. I won't be working out that quickly. Uh, That's quite a lot of pints. Yeah, yeah, and and we're looking at expanding those with uh, around 50% next year. So uh, that's quite a large expansion. Um, 
looking to a, a second brewer because I'm still on my own and 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 just being creative with n different brews I try to do uh, around 10 to 15 limited editions each year uh, next to the 20 beers we have on normal stock so and that's all you yeah Okay, that's pretty impressive. You're a busy man. Yeah, it is. I bet this is like a nice holiday for you then this, this weekend. Is, yeah, <laughs> this is, yeah. And, 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 uh, so hopefully I will be here a few times in the, in, in, in the next year. And, uh, oh, I, so reckon get be, I reckon you'll get invited back again. I'm judging by the reception your beers have had oh, so far. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and as Patrick Hopefully. said, you know, some of the stuff that you do mm -hmm. could be a source of inspiration. Yeah, I'm happy to help. Uh, we now in the, in the last few years I got a lot of experience with barrel aging we at every given point we have around 200 barrels full of beer somewhere uh, somewhere in the castle no 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 it's on a it's on a sorry a bit obsessed with the castle <laughs> <laughs> it's on a secret location <laughs> not to be disclosed um, uh, not for prying eyes he means us doesn't he yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. not going in directions yeah. it's uh it's in, 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 in a two mile radius of the castle. Yeah. We don't know where the castle is, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. we're no. never going to find I'll it. I'll make you a treasure map. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be worth doing. Yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, it's been a pleasure meeting both of you. Thank you both for yeah, your time today. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. You know, I know you're busy here, Patrick, with the uh, the Open Gate Brewery. So this is your spare time we've taken up. So yeah. sorry yeah, about there's that. There's definitely yeah. worse ways to spend your spare time. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking barrel finished beers. Yeah. 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 And um, thank you. For, I mean, I finished mine. You finished yours a while ago. Thank you for sharing all, all, all of the beers. No um, problem. Yeah, no, our pleasure. And for obviously inviting us over to, to, to be part of the uh, the International South Day. That's what beer is for, is sharing. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been great fun. Um, we're going to sign off uh, by saying we are going to have some more stouts. I think we probably are, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, there's, a, there's a good chance of that. Yeah, so uh, yeah. cheers. Yeah, cheers. Cheers, cheers, cheers. Cheers. He waits. That's what he does. And they'll tell you what. Tick, followed, talk, followed, tick, followed, talk, followed, tick. Ahab says I don't care who you are, here's to your dream. The old sailors return to the bar. Here's to you, Ahab! And the fat drummer hit the beat with all his heart.